In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sit down. So let's um, start. So today, obviously, there is a lot out there about psychology. It's taught in universities. I think it's even taught at schools. Psychology is looked at as the answer to man's problems. And not to offend feminists, to humans' problems. So it's a solution, that's how you get healed and all those type of things. Now, a lot of you people, and I've been influenced too, we read, we see on television, we hear on the news, then some of you listen to the radio, and some of you at university, at school or college, we just, it's, we're always faced with this thing about psychology. So I believe we've all been influenced. The question is... As Orthodox Christians, how are we to think? We don't want to think the way the world tells us to think because most of the time they're wrong. See, they present to us many things like childcare. They say it's good, nothing happens to the child. There's so much research. That's another talk I'm going to do soon on childcare showing the damages. I've already explained all that, some of it, but I want to do much more detail. Then there's this transgender thing that they're born like this and etc. and they're committing suicide. That's all false as well. They're just mentally ill. And then there's the contraception that women should take control of their own body. There's nothing wrong with contraception. It's safe. And need to find out that chemical contraception actually causes abortions. And I've covered that in Talk 65 and I want to do that in the future as well, more detail. So women that have been taking those things could actually be having an abortion one after the other. So that's a lie. The early childhood, um, when you go to school early, they say it's good for the child because it socialises better. They turn out to be socially backward, those ones that go to school early. Abortions, they say it's um, safe, it's good, but yet the real truth is that most women who do abortions regret it later on. They go into depression, they've got more chance of suicide, more chance of mental illness, and not only that, even their future children that they give birth to later on uh, have um, abnormalities. So we are lied to continually. And I believe that there's been a lot of lying about psychology. So let's have a look. Where do we go to find out? We go to the church fathers. But psychology is more of a modern thing. The church fathers spoke about philosophy. The ancient Greeks, they dealt with philosophy versus orthodoxy. And the church fathers took the best parts of philosophy, applied them to Christianity. And this psychology has only been the last few centuries. So we have to look more at the modern, contemporary, in other words, spiritual fathers, the holy saints there, and the elders, eldresses, to have an idea of how 
we should think about that topic because they are enlightened and because they're enlightened, they can give us the correct knowledge about this. So let's have a look. Saint Paisios was writing a letter to someone who wrote a book on psychology. And he wrote, I'll just take one part of it, he says, forgive me, I'm writing these things with pain because I see the poor youth being abandoned by spiritual fathers. Abandoned by spiritual fathers. Spiritual fathers means orthodox priests. He says that the youth of today are being abandoned by spiritual fathers. This is because most of the spiritual fathers are involved with welfare, even though social welfare already exists in the world, and those who deal with that, they do a better job. So why should the priests be involved in social welfare? And unfortunately, the work of the spiritual father is done by psychiatrists, most of whom do not recognise the existence of the soul. Or they recognise its existence in their own way, but do not recognise the worth of the soul, of which one soul is worth more than the whole world, as Christ tells us. So it would seem that St. Paisius is negative. He says that the priests are working on the social welfare, helping the poor, organising dinners, doing raffle tickets. And today, the epistle in today's liturgy, which comes from the Acts of the Apostles, I thought when I read, I go, oh, that's exactly what I wanted to say tonight. So I'll read it to you and I'll, and I'll explain to you. In those days when the disciples were multiplying, there arose a murmuring, complaining of the Hellenists, the Greeks, against the Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily ministration, meaning that the Greeks, the Greek widows, weren't given much help as much as the Jewish widows because they used to collect money and help the, the poor. And the twelve apostles summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not pleasing to us to leave behind the word of God to serve tables. So the apostles said, because they were looking at the apostles to fix up the problem, collect money, help the widows, etc., and then the apostles said, that's not for us to do. We can't serve tables and neglect the preaching of the word of God. That's what we should be doing. Therefore, brethren, say the apostles, look out for seven men from among yourselves whose character is, is approved by testimony, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we shall appoint over this business, social welfare, this business. But we will persevere in prayer and the ministry of the word. What do they mean by prayer? It means their personal prayers, but above all it means the prayer in the liturgy. So what they're saying is that the apostles who are bishops and the priests who they ordained, 
because back in the old days, bishops, priests, they were kind of considered the same. The only difference is the bishop ordained priests. And the apostles said, we're not going to deal with social welfare. Imagine what they would say today if they saw what's going on today in the churches. We're going to persevere in serving the liturgy, praying for everyone, praying for the world, praying for the souls of the dead, and preaching the word of God. That's the function of a priest and bishop. And the saying was pleasing before the whole multitude, what they said pleased the others that were there, and they chose for themselves Stephen, a man full of faith of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and having prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God kept on increasing, now that they were free, the apostles, from social welfare work. And the word of God kept on increasing. And because the apostles were now free to preach more, which is what they should be doing, and that's what the priests should be doing, it says here that the word of God kept on increasing the preaching, and because of that, let's see what it says, and the number of the disciples were being multiplied in Jerusalem exceedingly. Exceedingly, meaning that because of the preaching, people were converting and coming to Christianity. Now some of you ask, well, not many people are coming to Christianity today, or orthodoxy. Why is that? Because there's hardly no preaching. Actually, one of the biggest religions where people are joining is the Muslim religion. Why? They preach. They preach. And the born-again Christians, they go around, preach, 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 even though what they preach isn't correct fully. And the Orthodox, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them are busy working out the next Santa Claus party for their children or making some raffles, or maybe they can get together and the priest can wear the apron, they can make gingerbread men, or make little cakes. And you might think it's exaggeration. It's very bad. And a great crowd of the priests were obedient to the faith. I read a few years ago a canon from the Rada, I think it was an apostolic canon, which was not written actually, it doesn't mean it was written by the apostles, but it was written in the spirit of the apostles, maybe the third century or fourth century. And it said there, whoever of the clergyman, bishop or priest, doesn't matter, does not preach the word of God, does not correct the people, and censure them, meaning to actually correct them and say what you're doing is wrong and that what you're doing will lead you to hell. Actually, he's even said that. And be careful of this, be careful of that, console, preach. Let them be defrocked. That's the spirit of the church. If the priests did do that, 
there wouldn't be that much trouble today. And Metropolitan or Bishop Augustine, which we have some of his books, all his books are excellent. He died a few years ago at about 100 and something years old. And I used to listen to his cassettes. I watched some videos. I even saw him in person. And he believed in the preaching, that the priests must preach. And he actually ordered all his priests that whenever they do a baptism, whenever they do a funeral, whenever they do a wedding, they must do a little sermon for the people that are there. Because some of those people only come for those things. They don't come to Sunday services. And he says, you must preach every single service. Say something. And the publisher which produces those books is called Institute for Byzantine and Modern Greek Studies. And they've got around so many books of his. I would um, advise, if you want, buy them all. They're simple, and the man was on fire. But a lot of the people in Greece, clergymen, bishops, were against him. But then again, a lot were against St John Chrysostom. That's why he was defrocked. And they were against him and said he was fanatical, that he was backward, that he caused scandals in the church because he used to shout when he was preaching. Why was he shouting? Was he shouting because someone called him a name? No. Why was he shouting? Because he saw God's word being trodden on. He saw people blaspheming Christ. He saw the government trying to destroy the church. And he preached against that. And he was quite effective. Not only do the psychiatrists don't believe in the existence of the soul... I'm adding this. They also don't believe in the existence of demons and angels, grace. They don't really understand the concept of sin. It's like bad decisions, good decisions, and all the other stupidities that they say. Uh, they don't understand it like the Orthodox Church does. And some of them do believe in God. And as St. Paisio said, they believe in an incorrect way. Now, you might say, what happens if it's an Orthodox psychiatrist or an Orthodox bishop? Maybe... There might be some, something better there, but uh, why go for the scraps when you can go for the nice food? The nice food being what the Orthodox Church has to offer. The psychiatrists and psychologists have something to offer, as we'll see, but scraps. Now, with scraps, you might not die because at least it's given you something to eat, but you're still going to feel hungry. But in the Orthodox Church, you get full meals. So why would you go for scraps? But we're going to explain that in a minute. St. Paisius, uh, now this is not what he says. This is what someone wrote about him. St. Paisius was grieved and pained because he felt that many spiritual fathers, confessors, have left their main occupation, which is the guiding of the youth, and instead are involved in secondary matters. Furthermore, he clearly opposes what is happening in the church today, that the work of spiritual fathers is being handed over to psychiatrists and psychologists and that many spiritual fathers are acting like or are psychiatrists or psychologists. If they're not handing them over to psychologists and psychiatrists 
they themselves are acting like that. Some of them are even psychologists, some of them are psychiatrists, some of them, they haven't studied it properly, but they've studied some subject, and then they use that, they apply what they've learned in psychology in dealing with the Orthodox Christians that they're ministering to. And it says here, St. Paisio says, the result is that the mentally ill patients are on the increase in psychiatric hospitals and that suicides are on the rise, whereas these would have been significantly less if our church had many God-enlightened spiritual fathers. And what St. Paisius means is what St. John Chrysostom says in one of his sermons, or probably many of them, he says, when the monasteries are filled, because most people get uh, the, the fullness of orthodoxy from monasteries. Sometimes the parish priests uh, can't give it properly. When the monasteries are filled with monks and nuns praying and the spiritual fathers that are confessing people, etc., then the hospitals and the jails are empty. When the monasteries are empty, in other words, then those places are full. So today, are the hospitals and jails full? Yes. Why are they full? Because the monasteries are empty. Why are the monasteries empty? Apostasy. It's, that's it. Now, St. Paisus goes on, and there's another part. Those who are not well spiritually are certain clergymen who study psychology in order to help people's souls with human skill. So St. Paisius calls those priests who study psychology so as to use on their parishioners and to help them are sick in the head. And they want to use human skill, which is what psychology is. It's not divine. They don't even believe in souls. They don't believe in God. Even an individual's psychiatrist, psychologist might believe. But in general... The essence of psychology is helping people without God. The strange thing is that their teachers, the psychologists, neither believe in God nor accept the existence of the soul. And if they do, they do it in their own way, almost all of them. These clergymen reveal through their actions that they are spiritually ill and need patristic examinations. When a clergyman uses psychology to help people, he's saying they're spiritually ill and that they need doctors. And who is he saying these doctors are? The Holy Fathers. They need to be examined by the Holy Fathers. The Holy Fathers will expose to them what they're doing is wrong. But a lot of them don't read the Holy Fathers because they read Freud and these other people. That's the new saints, Saint Sigmund. See? And there's Saint, what else? I don't even know, I forgot him. I did it when I was at college, but I um, can't even remember. Who's another famous one? Jung or Jung, whatever that is. Saint Jung. <laughs> Sounds like a Chinese person, but he wasn't. I think he was European. So, after being cured, after these priests are cured by the Holy Fathers, they will discern for themselves the ill spirit that's in them, 
And at the same time, they will come to know divine grace. You'll never ever read in a psychology book the word divine grace. When a psychologist sits down and helps a person, they're using their minds. They're not using God's enlightenment, God's grace. They're using their minds. It's a human skill. But he goes, but when these priests are cured and then they will come to know divine grace, from then on they will use divine energy instead of human arts to cure suffering souls. See, when you go to confession with a God-fearing priest, at the time that that's happening, the priest is not just using his mind. The priest if he's God-fearing and knows what is the position of being a spiritual father, allows the grace to work on him, to be enlightened, to know what to say to the person and to help them, and at the same time to enlighten the spiritual child that's there. So it's a mystery. It's a mystery. When you go to a psychologist, when he's got one foot over the other and he's there as if he's King Kong and he's got it writing in, he's writing on his pad, they're not, there's no mystery going taking place there. There's no mystery. Now, I might say people don't get help. I said they get a bit of help. We're going to come to that. But that's scraps. If you can go for the better, go for the better. But there's no divine grace. And remember, they're also told, these psychologists, as are social workers, etc., that you don't get involved with the client. You're not allowed to feel. So they sit there with a stony face and have no empathy because you, you can't get involved. But the spiritual father, as Elder Paisio says, has empathy, feels Elder Paisus actually says that when he's dealing with people that are in pain, he feels their pain. That's forbidden in the psychological world. Now, I'm going to read three little things which I've read before by Saints Porphyrios and Paisios, which, when I read them, cannot be applied to psychology. Completely, it's just alien. Let's see what these three things are. Saint Porphyrios. He's saying to parents, become saints and you'll have no problems with your children. St. Paisios, the best inheritance the parents can give their children is their own spiritual life. And the third one, St. Porfirios, the sanctity of their parents releases the children from their inner problems. So when the parents are holy, it releases the children's inner problems, their disturbances or their traumas or their whatever, their mental problems and other issues. And that's the essence of the talk tonight, understanding this, because it's gone, you see, today it's like, in a way, even the sermons are a bit like that, where they say, you must be a good example. You must be a good Christian and be a good example so your children can learn from you. And that's true. That's true. That's halfway. But how about the other half about the grace, where a lot of times they're not mentioning these things. 
So I love that one. The sanctity of their parents releases the children from their inner problems. When the, when the parent is struggling spiritually and the, the more holy they become through the mysteries of the church and through the struggle of keeping the commandments and prayer, then the grace that's in the parents helps their children. Would you read that in a psychology book? No. So let's look at some examples that I wrote. You hear people say about certain priests, he's a psychologist, which is great. He'll know what to do. Have you heard that? They go, oh, that priest is a psychologist. As they're salivating. He's a psychologist, which is great. He really, he'll, he'll know what to do. Or another one says, he studied psychology. He's got a lot of knowledge. Now, I'm going to stop there to explain this. I'm going to talk about Greek sweets. Now, there's a Greek sweet called galaktoburiko, a Greek custard pie, I looked it up, or a sweet milk custard dessert. Now, where I got this idea from was actually from Bishop Augustine when I was listening to a talk once, and he was talking about how society's gone off, and he was talking about how people have got, all they talk about, all they've got on their mind is sex. And he was, and he was saying it, and um, so when he said it, I was actually in stitches. I found it hilarious the way he said it. And I've always used the same type of concept, so it's not mine, but I like the way he said it. He goes in Greek, today, today he says, all the people think about is shek, shek, shek. It's as if they're eating galactoburiko. He was making fun of them. He goes, they're salivating. And people were all laughing. So I call it the galactoburiko syndrome. So when people talk about the psychologist priest, they don't say, oh, that priest is holy. That priest is virtuous. That priest has got discernment. That priest is a man of prayer. His prayers are so powerful. We hear today, unfortunately, they go, oh, he's a psychologist as they're drowning in their saliva. It's like they're drowning. They salivate so much that they actually start choking. And that, oh, he's so good. So a woman um, attends a church in which the priest is a psychologist. And when people used to ask her, other Orthodox people, oh, what church do you go to? What's your parish? And she goes, oh, I go to that church. And then the people would say, oh, I know him. He's a psychologist. Again, with the saliva. And other people might say, oh, isn't that the church where the priest is a psychologist? Now, a woman's father-in-law died, and her mother-in-law, the wife of the man that died, was very much grieved, crying, very upset, couldn't cope. So they referred the matter to the parish priest, and the daughter-in-law said, my mother-in-law is in good hands because the priest at our parish is also a psychologist or has knowledge of psychology, so he'll know how to make my mother-in-law well. Today, when people have some type of mental psychological, emotional problem, the first thing people, including priests, will say, not all of them, 
They need to see a psychologist. Now, I've also referred people to psychologists, me personally. Then you might say, but isn't that contradictory with what you're saying? And um, I'll tell you why soon. I found this in a book of the teachings of Father or Elder Epiphanius Theodoropoulos, which died in the, I think in the 80s, very holy person, discerning spiritual father, confessor. Uh, it was in the Greek church in Athens. People used to go to him. Thousands of people used to confess to him. And um, so someone said to him, Elder, are Christians allowed to take psychiatric medicines? Because many think that anxiety, depression, melancholia, and in general psychiatric disorders of the soul are healed only with the spiritual life. That is, with prayer, going to church, confession, divine communion, etc. So there are people who say that all psychiatric problems can be healed with prayer, church, confession, communion, etc. Then we have another group which basically says that everyone should go to psychiatrists, psychologists. And then we have a middle group of clergymen who say sometimes you send them to the psychologist, sometimes you deal with it spiritually. So let's see how Father Epiphanius explains it. He says, when necessary, the Christians must also take psychiatric medications. Now, you might say, but that contradicts Elder Paisios. What I read before didn't talk about medications. I spoke in general about the attitude of clergymen. So we need to study more of what's going on. So, let's see. Now, this is St. Paisios. Concerning psychiatric medication, they may be of some assistance to people in serious conditions, that is, those who are filled with illusions or on the verge of losing their minds. If, for example, our fellow man's mental condition is seriously deteriorating, we should give him a certain dose of medication to stabilise it, which is what Father Epiphania said. At the same time, we must show him love and try to correct his negative thinking and persuade him not to listen to his own thoughts. As his condition is improving, the dose of the medication can be reduced. This should be for a period of time. So he says that in some circumstances when the person, his condition is that bad, or her condition, whereby they're suicidal, they could hurt themselves, they could hurt others, very, very bad. When the person's in that condition, it's very hard to say to them, come to church. Especially where he says here, they're in, they've got illusions. They can believe things that don't even exist. These are very serious situations, and they say... In those situations, they can take medication for a while. And while they're on that medication, when their minds have calmed down, because what those medications do is they slow the mind down so they don't have these racing thoughts and these delusional thoughts and aggressive thoughts, he says, while they're calmer, then you try to correct their negative thoughts. It's interesting that he says they're negative thoughts, so, which means a lot of the problems that these people are suffering from 
come from negative thoughts. Um, and it says, and then you start to reduce it. Now, people that are listening to this talk don't start reducing things without supervision because you might hurt yourself. When you, when you abruptly come off these medications, people can become suicidal, very dangerous. Do not do that. Listen to the whole talk and then you will see. When the mind of our fellow man moves away from humility, it escapes into a fantasy world. When he takes medication, he stops thinking or imagining things and his fantasy world is limited. Then he starts feeling sleepy, tired, hungry, and generally speaking, he's physically humbled. While he thought that he was an angel, now he feels like a human being bearing flesh. Now, this is very, very important. Incorrect thoughts is one link to these mental illnesses. And humility, the people lack humility. There's pride. And a lot of these things lead people into a fantasy world. He says that their minds are so flying with thoughts and I'm this and I'm good and I'm that, which aren't true. And some, if they're religious people, they might even think that they're saints, angels. While if they're worldly people, they might think they're a professional soccer player or some other madness there. And he's saying that when they take the medication, this slows the whole brain down. I've seen this when people take it. Well, before their mind was going 100 miles per hour, it slows it down sometimes to 5 miles per hour. Or if you want to use metric, say 10 kilometres. The medication, the doctors say, stop the bad thoughts. Wow, that's really impressive. So you take the medication and the medication says, now which is a good thought and which is a bad thought? That's a good thought, we'll let it go to this consciousness. That's a bad thought, no, we're going to repress that down. We're going to get rid of that thought. How does the medication do that? Wow, it's just amazing how they've progressed. Medication that thinks and discerns what's good and what's bad thoughts. That's not true. The medication stops all thoughts. It actually slows them all down. They can't differentiate. They're not that smart yet. It slows down all the thoughts. And that's what the saint is saying here so beautifully. It slows it down to such a, to such a level that they feel sleepy, tired, and I hear this, when people, when people are on these things, they go, I'm tired all the time, I'm sleepy, hungry. I think that's a side effect of um, these medications. And generally speaking, he is physically humbled. Physically humbled. Instead of being on fire and proud and full of it, he's just down. When you're sick, you know you're humbled? When you fast, you're humbled? When you fast, you feel a bit drained and that helps you spiritually. And when you're sick, then you feel drained as well. If you're sick, you don't have to fast as much because you're already drained. You're already humbled. Fasting is to humble us. So if you're already humbled, why would you then fast and make your body even more humbled 
until you drop. So that's, that's very enlightening, where he says he's physically humbled, or she, while he thought before that he was a bodiless angel, and I add, or a football player or some genius or whatever else these people have in their fantasy, he now feels like a human being bearing flesh. The fantasy's dropped because the medication has slowed down the thoughts. Now, there's a book called Illness and Cure of the Soul in the Orthodox Tradition written by a Greek hierarch, Metropolitan, Yerothos Vlachos. And he writes a lot about these issues from an Orthodox perspective. And he sometimes has some sections where he's comparing modern psychology with Orthodoxy. And I found a section there. It says, this is him writing, he's still alive. Of course, we accept by economy the views of contemporary psychology and psychotherapy in two cases. So he says, the church accepts out of economy, out of need, out of need. It accepts some of the views of psychology and psychotherapy in two cases. The first case includes people whose nervous system has been harmed because of various reasons, physical or mental overstress, and now face serious psychological problems. That's 100% true. There are many, many, many mental disorders which come from the body. It's got nothing to do with the person's mind or the way they think, etc. It's all to do with the body. Like, for example, when I had underactive thyroid and I went to the doctors, they didn't detect it. So when you've got underactive thyroid, you just don't function. Your body doesn't function. You gain weight. You become really tired. I couldn't even walk five steps. It was that difficult. And also, your brain slows down completely. And when you're in that state, you can't cope with anything at all. It was very, very, very difficult time. And you go through a lot of mental crises because you can't cope. So there are people who got underactive thyroid who might be undetective, who can't take much. And then you go to a doctor. Now, there was a relative of someone that I knew. He went to the doctor and the doctor said, oh, you've got some psychosis or something. Gave him really, really strong medication, wrecked him up, only to find out later on, after they wrecked him up, that he had underactive thyroid, was undetective. Now... There are many, many diseases, like, for example, a lack of certain vitamin B. Vitamin B is necessary for the development of a brain for children, and then as they grow older, we all need certain amounts of vitamin B for the brain to function properly. So if you're not getting vitamin B, you're not what functioning. Now, animal products like meat, eggs, they've got vitamin B, but certain vegetables and other bird seeds have vitamin B in it as well. And so vegetarians say, oh, I don't need meat because I, I get it in the other things that I eat. I remember going to a doctor and he was making fun, the doctor. And he actually said, when you speak to a vegetarian, you tell them you need to eat some animal protein to get some vitamin B. And then they say, I don't need that. Do you get the, do you get the joke? Because they're out of it. They're weak. And then I found on the internet a study which says that uh, people that really need vitamin B 
it's very hard to get it out of these vegetables and whatever else they're having. You need to be eating meat, eggs, etc. if you lack it. There are a lot of people who lack these vitamins and therefore that would create mental problems. And those people would not be able to cope with much, they wouldn't be able to think properly, they'd be forgetful, out of it, anxiety, fear, those type of things. So that's what Metropolitan Vierothos Vlakos is saying. He's saying that sometimes the nervous system and the diseases of the body can cause mental problems. You need to go and get professional help for that. Now, does that mean the church can't help? Of course the church can help with that. But, in, but God's given us doctors, just like if we have a liver problem or we have a kidney problem, we can go to the church, get prayers, have an unction done, we can get all that done. But at the same time, you must go to the doctor. But, 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 Elder Joseph, when he was in the desert in Manathos, he said no doctors. Yeah, because he had faith and he was in the desert. There's not a doctor's surgery there. And some of the saints, we saw that. But a lot of the other saints went to doctors. If they're in the city and they're in the world, God wanted them to go to doctors. Why? Because he didn't want them to get proud. But the ones that were in the desert, the ones that didn't have access to doctors, he would, God would a lot of times make them better without doctors. Where do we live? In the world. So what should we do? We go to doctors. But a lot of times we don't even know, is the problem that we're having because of a physical disease in us? Or is it something else? That's why people go to doctors. That's where he says you go to doctors, but there's no reason why you can't go to church, why you can't get the priest to read you, have prayers being done, etc. That can help. That can also enlighten the doctors to discover what's wrong with you. Because a lot of times when people feel weak and out of it, the, there's a certain limitation with doctors. They don't know the answers of why people are always really tired or feel like stressed all the time when there might be no reason for that. They don't know because there's, limit, there's, there's limitations. But there's other doctors who are, who are medical doctors, like what they call functional doctors, who deal more with the whole body and they look at other things which the normal doctors don't look at and a lot of them find the, that there are lacking things which ordinary blood tests don't pick up. And the doctors aren't trained for that. Anyway, so that's the first case, he says, that, that the church says, yes, you go to our psychiatrist, etc., to work out the brain neurologists. The second case, he says, there are people who by choice do not have any relation with the church and its mysteries. I like that by choice. They just don't want it. They don't have any relations with that. I think that they can be helped by modern psychology, psychotherapy, so as not to be driven into an irreparable condition. There are, the majority of people today have nothing to do with the church. They don't even know that the church reads prayers for the sick. I don't know. They've got no idea. And he says that when they have problems, it's better than nothing. They've got to go because they can get some help. And if they've got to be medicated... They're going to be medicated, to be, to be sedated. Psychology can act as a painkiller to comfort them in the dreadful prison of despair in which they are. So he calls those people outside the church, those who don't have a relationship with the church, he says that they're in the dreadful prison of despair. They're suffering. They've got no 
answers. They don't know what to do. They don't know about the church. So he says they can go to psychologists who act as a painkiller to comfort them. Now, let's look at Oxycontin. How do you, how do you say it? Oxycontin? Is that Oxycontin. Yeah, whatever. Or Endone. That's a more of a fast um, action. Now, those tablets have been used for pain. They don't cure the disease that you've got, but they relieve the pain. And unfortunately today, millions of people are addicted to these things. They're addicted because they might have had a sore back or some operation they had, and they, so the doctor gave them these, these tablets, which are addictive. They took them to kill the pain. Because they said that's human to do that, that's good. Sometimes they don't even try to find out what's wrong. Sometimes it's not just an operation. Okay, we understand it's an operation, it's done. By the time you heal, you're already addicted. But there might be others that have got certain pains that the doctors don't know what's wrong with them and they just give them these pills and say, come on, you can just take that. And that kills the pain. So, Metropolitan Vierothos Vlakos is saying that psychiatrists act as a painkiller. They don't cure they just help the person to take the pain, except if they've got a physical problem and they find that problem, that you're lacking something, then they can help to heal you. But there's other reasons why people are mentally ill, and it's not all from physical. There's other reasons. We're going to come to that. And those who have got physical problems, by the way, they, they might be so bad that they've got to take pills themselves to cope because there might even be a little tumour in there that's pressing on the brain. It makes them crazy. Now, people, maybe they haven't found it yet. And the person's aggressive. or So they're going to give him something. He's not going to sit there and say, I'm not taking anything because I don't believe in psychology or psychiatry. Now, he actually says there's two cases, but without, I think he... He said a third case. I don't, think it, I don't know why you wrote it like that, but anyway, I, I called it the third case. There are also, says the hierarch, there are also people who go to spiritual fathers for confession, but the spiritual fathers do not have the strength and knowledge of the spiritual life to help them, to help these people that have got mental illness problems. That is, they are ignorant of the therapeutic method of the church because the church is a hospital and the church has teachings of how to heal a soul. That's what a spiritual father should be doing, healing souls through confession, through his guidance, through his prayers, etc. But a lot of the spiritual fathers don't have a knowledge of those things. This problem leads many people to the psychiatrist. We should not turn a blind eye to the existing reality. He says, we can't lie. It's a reality. A lot of the Orthodox priests have no idea how to cure souls. And hence why people are running to the monasteries. And in point of actual fact, I think, even from the Byzantine days, people were running to the monasteries. They weren't going much to the priests in the world. They were going to the monasteries to receive healing. 
because the monastics are dealing in spiritual life every day. They are in contact with orthodox teaching. They have holy people which pass down the traditions to them. So that's why the church out of economy says, well, if a person has got no one and the priest is incapable of helping them, then it's better than nothing. It might help the person not to do something bad to themselves. They can get some scraps, but it's still something that prevents them falling to complete despair, suicide, etc. Now, I put a fourth case in myself of my own, so this is not from the Metropolitan, but this is from my readings and experience. There's a fourth... The first one is physical disease of the, which affects the brain. The second one was when the people don't have contact with the church. The third, people have contact with the church, but the priests are not capable, some of them, most of them, whatever. And the fourth case, those who go to spiritual fathers and are either incapable of being guided or choose not to be guided. That means the spiritual father could be holy, could be a very good spiritual father who knows how to heal souls, but the spiritual children which go to them are incapable of guidance for some reason. I've seen that a lot. They can't listen. They're disobedient. They don't remember what you told them. It's quite a tragic situation. And remember, Elder Paisios, who had this gift of healing, even though he wasn't a priest, he said in one of the talks that he had, he actually said, I'm so pained. He said, I can help these people. I can help them. I know I can help them if they only would listen. I also said that a while ago. I said, I, I think if they listened, I think that they can be helped. I'm not... 100%, I'm not a holy person, but there can be something if they just listened. And even if I give the wrong advice, if God sees that they're obedient, he'll heal them. God will help them. Even if I make a mistake. I've seen that too. I've made mistakes where people come and they, I, I say something to them, but I kind of missed the point there a bit or something happens. And then, but God still worked that out. It was still blessed. Because of the obedience, because the person had faith. And that's why we say, why aren't there many good spiritual fathers today? Look at Australia, where are all the good spiritual fathers? Like in America, there's quite a few now because of Father Ephraim. In Greece, there's so many. Serbia, some, Russia, especially in Greece, which is the heart of orthodoxy. Why? We get the answer, because there are not many good spiritual children if there were good spiritual children who wanted help and wanted to be guided and would be obedient, then God would supply plenty of holy spiritual fathers to Australia. But unfortunately, the majority of people don't listen. Not only here, but over a lot of places. I'll give you an example. So a person writes to me in an email and says, Dear Father, I've heard your talks. Oh, they're fantastic. They're great. They've helped me a lot. They've brought me to orthodoxy. I wasn't much in the church. goes on, 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 praising and praising. And then, which I don't really take much notice of because I don't take notice of words. I take notice of results. 
let's see whether these talks help them to really change from within. Anyway, the thing is, they say, can I ask you a question? So they put down their question. So I answer them, and after that I don't hear from them anymore, that they're gone. Why? What I said to them was exactly what I say in the talks, exactly the same information. I just retell them the same thing. And then they heard the talk. They actually heard the talk. They go, oh, fantastic. Loved it. So great. And then I say exactly the same thing to them and they don't, they don't write anymore. Goodbye. Bon voyage. Gone for a trip. And the reason being because I spoke to them directly, specifically to them, and their ego got in the way and they didn't like it. But when you listen to a talk sometimes... It's not specifically, I'm not saying it directly to you, but to talk, some people will listen to that and take it. A lot of people just listen to it and they just forget about it, even though they could have loved it. So um, I would say there's a fourth case. Horrid spiritual children who do not listen at all or, or quite bad. Now, there's another saint which I call a saint, but he's not canonised, Father John Christiankin, a Russian priest that was in um, Russia there, obviously, and he was also asked the same question by someone. Someone wrote to him regarding a relative who was suffering from mental illness and they asked him whether it was okay for them to take him to a psychiatrist now, Father John died in around 2007, very holy person, very holy. Hopefully he'll be canonised soon. And you, there's a book, uh, May God Give You Wisdom, uh, that's his epistles of letters. I would advise people to buy that. I hope you don't become poor every time you hear a talk when I advise you to buy all these things. So let's see what Father John says. He said... Because the man or your relative has no relationship with the church and therefore cannot get help from the grace that the church has, it would be best for him to go to the psychiatrist. That was paraphrased. So I couldn't find the part. So it's something like that. Some people, I'm now I'm saying, some people are so out of touch with the church that God's grace is inaccessible to them, but they still need to get some help. Now, there might be some confusion with some of you exactly the type of mental illnesses that we're talking about. Now, Father Epiphanius explains it, which even I got confused, I was getting confused. I always believe that some people's mental problems come from a physical reason. There's a physical reason. They get depressed. So, well, even women that go on to, when they're having their menstrual cycles, they get depressed. They have melancholy. They get angry irritated because it's hormonal okay so if that's the case for women that are hormonal what happens if someone's got a hormonal dysfunction in them it's going to affect them there's a lot of reasons why people have mental problems some might be temporary like for women when they're on those things sometimes it's for many years and the whole thing is to find out what's wrong. But there's other reasons why people have mental disease, and that's what we're going to look at now. 
This is the last section for the psychiatry, then we'll do it hopefully one day. Elder Epiphanius, what did he write? He says, we must clarify from the beginning that the so-called psychiatric medications or tranquilizers cannot in any way give man's soul the longed-for calmness nor bring consolation and hope to the soul of a mother, for example, whose son died, nor even to deliver the conscience of man from the guilt of the sins which he has committed. And the loss of self-esteem, like a man who's working for his family, all of a sudden he's got no money. <clears throat> they lose his self-esteem. You can do two things. You can go one way where you say, God help me, or you can go the other way where you say, woe is me, or well, look what happened to me, why has this happened to me, it's all my bad luck, and some of them commit suicide. So in other words, he's talking about traumatic experiences. This is the essence now. See, some of you might have even read this. I read it again, and it's interesting that, even I've read this before, but it didn't click. It says, we must clarify from the beginning that the so-called psychiatric medicines or tranquilizers cannot in any way give man's soul the longed-for calmness, nor to bring consolation and hope to the soul of a mother, for example, whose son has died, nor even to deliver the conscience of a man from the guilt of the sins which he has committed. What is he saying there? Maybe I'll finish the paragraph and then I'll explain it. These gifts come down only from above, from the Father of Lights. Only the celebrants, the priests and furthermore the spiritual fathers of the church are able to heal these conditions of people. Now we're going back again. But you just said before that the psychiatrist can help, etc. I said they can alleviate. They can numb the pain. Unless the person has a physical problem. This is different. Now listen to this. I'm going to try and explain it because it's, um, I've never really understood it myself until a few days ago. What the saint is saying is that people suffer certain traumatic experiences like the woman who lost her son, like a person who's had financial ruin, someone who's lost their job, someone who's got a repression of one's personality, loss, loss of self-esteem, certain traumas that happen. And he says that those people feel pain, they're disturbed. They show signs of mental illness, whether it's anger, whether it's depression. They have these symptoms which the doctors call mental illness. And what do the doctors do when you have those type of problems? They put you on medication. So what does the medication do? The saint's saying those medications aren't going to heal that person, but they will put a Band-Aid on them it will, that will repress the pain that they're having, but it won't heal them. He says that those problems need healing from God. What does that mean? Okay, so I'll give you an example. There was a woman who had a job, good money, um, and she was given a promotion, and she was a supervisor. 
But deep down, she couldn't do it. I knew she couldn't do it. But she was dodging and trying to hide it and not tell them and acting as if she's really efficient and talking to the people that wasn't real. And I said to her, you're going to get mentally ill. What you're doing is not right. Get rid of the job. He goes, no, 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 I can do it. Oh, you can't do it. Because you haven't got humility to ask God for help to help you do the position. The woman was incapable of humility to even to ask God, help me be a good supervisor. Just like mothers that can't do their work. Make a prayer. Help me be a good mother. Help me be a good wife. Help me be a good husband. Help me be a good father. People don't pray. They don't, they don't know. They're doing things that they're just incapable of. Anyway, so she was dodging, 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 dodging for years until they finally worked it out that she didn't know what she was doing properly. And they sacked her. And after they sacked her, she had a mental breakdown. So after she had a mental breakdown, she went on medication because the pain was so strong. The pain that she was experiencing, that she was sacked, that she was, um, she felt betrayed by the bosses, etc. So she went to the doctor and they put, her, they put her on medication. And what did the medication do? It numbed the pain. So she wasn't feeling much pain anymore and she was skipping along and um, she was like in the clouds which is what medication does a lot of times free free of the bad thoughts what the saint's saying is that that doesn't mean she's cured medication doesn't help that medication can't help those spiritual problems coming from trauma negative thoughts, hopelessness, etc. That needs to be cured through God's grace, through a change of your attitude. So, for example, someone's husband died and then the woman feels so much pain and she's screaming and she's really upset, so she goes on antidepressants and that decreases the pain. Is she cured? No. If she had a physical problem in the brain, yes, she might get healed if it's a physical problem. That's a different thing when the nervous system's affected, when there's physiological diseases, etc. We've talked about that. We've got to find this, the reason for that, and pills can help in those things. But this is different. This is to do with sin. Why is it a sin? The woman's husband died. Why is it a sin? Well, because I thought... I thought there's a resurrection. Isn't that what we've been taught? That there's a resurrection? Doesn't it mean that you'll see your son again? So if she's going berserk, crazy, and she's screaming, and she's upset, and she's depressed, what does that mean? That she lacks faith in the resurrection and life eternal. That means that she's sinning. It's a sin. And how do we solve sin? How do we heal sin? Through the church. The church will teach us and will help us in the spiritual father and the grace will help us to change our attitude and to be healed. A person lost their job. God permitted it. That's what happened. So if the person's going crazy and upset and depressed and moping around, hopeless, that's a sin. What, what happened with the financial crisis in 2008? How many people committed suicide because they lost their properties, etc., money, stocks? 
That they say, oh, because they were mentally ill. No, they weren't mentally ill. They made themselves mentally ill through their sin. And sin can only be healed and sin can only be forgiven in the church. Well, if that's the case, then why would you say to people to go to a psychiatrist? Well, one, because their thoughts are so bad, they need something to knock them out a bit. Because they're not, they're not thinking right, they're not going to the church, they're not thinking the right way. A Christian person lost their son, they'll get upset, they'll cry, and they'll pick themselves up and say, but let us have beheld the resurrection of Christ. There's a resurrection, I'm going to see my child again, or whatever. Or they lost their job, they say, God will provide. See the difference? A true Christian, God will provide and then the one that's not really living a Christian life properly or has the wrong attitude, they have this um, hopelessness. All these things are sin. The medication can't help those things. They can give a Band-Aid, but they can't help the person. They can't heal them. This is what the saint's trying to say. Now, a psychologist, say a person has nothing to do with the church, and they go to a psychologist, and you hear people say, I lost my child and the psychologist helped me and I feel better. That can happen if the person's got a good disposition and that person has nothing to do with the church. If they change their mind, that they have the change of mind, their healing is not full because they need the grace, but there's still something. There's something there. A woman has a horrible husband. He bashes her. And then he find, she finally leaves him. And then she goes through life. Look, woe is me, woe is me. Look what, I, what happened to me. Why it happened to me, to me, to me. And then, But if she was a Christian, if she was an orthodox Christian, she would say, well, it happened. It was a trial. God grant me the grace to proceed on with my life. But the person who can't do that or doesn't want to do that and has negative thoughts like the elder Baisa says, they're going to go on and 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 just not going to stop until they get mentally, really mentally ill. So medication will give some relief to those people. Psychologists and psychiatrists can maybe help them to think a bit better. But the ultimate healing is in the church. And that's why a lot of the Holy Fathers say mental illness of this type, wrong thoughts, hopelessness, etc., and problems which occur because of sin, well, they are sins, but also, say, someone falls into sexual sins, someone commits adultery, they lose grace, those people are left, and a lot of times their conscience is burdening them so much that develops into mental illness. How do you cure that? Go and confess. Stop the sin, go and confess, and ask God for forgiveness and healing. So, a person commits adultery, they're guilty, or a person might be a young person that falls into maybe homosexuality, influenced from the TV or from the books, whatever they felt, and they feel really bad, really bad about it. And they're suffering, and this develops into mental problems. In that case, if you go to the doctor, they go, that's okay, it's just an alternative lifestyle. So they're not going to be helped much. But you go to the priest, a proper spiritual father, will say, 
my child, that's not correct, that's not God's law, you don't commit adultery or you don't do homosexual acts or you don't take drugs or you don't do this, let's get it out of you, let God take away your sin, heal you, and then you move on. And that's why a lot of people say, after I confessed, I felt so much better. Once a woman came to me, she goes, I can't take it, I can't take it, what's wrong? She goes, I'm going crazy, I'm going to go to the doctor, I feel like I need medication. What happened? He goes, I can't take my husband, and um, I, it's just too much. And I said, um, what happened? This, this, this. I go, why don't you go home and ask forgiveness? Because I think that in this case, even a lot of times it's Izzy's fault, but in this case, it's your fault. Why don't you go home and do that? And then if you still feel bad, then go to the doctor and go and get your pills. So she went home and asked forgiveness, telephones me and says, I feel so much better. It's gone. Of course, why? Sin. That's sin. When you can't ask someone for forgiveness, it's a sin. And sin makes you sick. And it affects your mental state. And if that's the case, you go to the doctor, it will only repress the, what you've got. You're not going to be healed until you change. Now, some psychiatrists might say to someone, oh, why don't you admit your mistake? Or Sometimes they help and the person goes back and, and there's some type of healing there. At, at least they've got that. But in the church, you not only get the correct advice and what to do, but you also get the grace which heals the soul. And the last section before the break, Father Epiphanius continues, anxiety and depression in people are caused not only by such above-mentioned factors or even from a financial ruin or from repression of their personalities and the loss of self-esteem, guilt of sins, etc., but also from factors which originate in the nervous system, the brain of man. In other words, from the disturbance of the higher function of the brain, such as emotion, thought, will, that's when you've got physical mental problems. This type of anxiety or depression, etc., is improved or even healed with psychiatric medicines, that is, medicines which act on the brain functions in a way as to bring them back to their normal rhythm. So the saint's saying the other things to do with traumas and problems, that's healed by the church for God's grace but the other diseases which are from the brain from physical reasons are cured by the doctors and sometimes God can cure them as well but most of the time he wants us to go to the doctors that's the difference so any questions any confusions did I explain it well I hope I did Change of mind, yeah, it's a good way. I like that. The way we change our mind, we say, I'm going to think the way God wants me to think. I'm going to have the attitude that God wants me to do. I'm going to follow his commandments. Pick up your cross, for example. If you're sick, some people go hopeless. When I got sick a few, one and a half years ago, I had a stroke, and then I went to the doctor, and I said, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm really melancholic. I just, I'm very melancholy. What's wrong? Goes, oh, that's because of the stroke. You've got to take antidepressants. I said, I don't know. 
Maybe it's the medication or something, because I was take, all of a sudden started taking the Maybe the stroke physically bothered me. Maybe that affected me to make me to have this kind of depression, melancholy. And he goes, no, no, you, because, it's, you can, because you're upset because of what happened, etc. So you take the medication. Here's the prescription. So I went back to the monastery and I said, um, just wait a few days to see what's going on. So I waited a few days and after a few days, the whole thing went. Just lifted off. Because I knew that my attitude about the sickness that I got was not that, why did God allow this, why did this, why did that? I never had that attitude. It was difficult because I couldn't walk straight, I couldn't even talk properly, and it was difficult. But I never, I don't think I had the attitude that, oh, why did this happen and what's going to happen and I can't even do talks anymore, I can't serve liturgy. I was concerned I couldn't serve liturgy anymore, that I wouldn't be able to talk because I was slurring. And then also, I remember, I'll share it, because that shows you when we ask for something from our heart, God will give it to us. So a few days before I had that stroke, I remember that during the liturgy, I was asking God to protect me from pride, because pride is a disease. It's really horrible. You've got to choose between a stroke and pride. Choose the stroke. Anyway, so I was praying. I said to God to protect me from pride, especially because I'm doing a lot of these talks. They're listened to over the world. And you can fall into pride. We have saints full of virtue, and they fell into pride, and they lost their souls. Like the monk who wrote the supplicatory canon to the mother of God, the Paractasis, the person who wrote that beautiful service which is sung for centuries in the Orthodox Church fell into some type of deception and he lost his soul. So if he, fell, if he lost his soul, how about me? So I did that prayer and then two days later I got the stroke. I believed it was the prayer. That was a way to protect me. I, I, I accepted So when he said to me, are oh, you depressed because of the way you feel and you know, you're upset, etc.? found it difficult to comprehend what he was saying. So after a few days, I left the prescription there, didn't touch it, and then I waited. And after a few days, it just went away. Still couldn't walk properly, still couldn't talk properly. It was pretty bad. But at least I started serving a couple of days after I got sick with difficulty. And it went away, and I thought to myself, what happens if I took that medication, the antidepressant? I would have thought that the reason why I got better was the medication, because I got better by myself two days later. I think it was the other medications I was taking, blood thinners, this, that, oh, no, they gave me a hundred things. So I would have thought if I took the antidepressants, oh, it's that, oh, it looks like that's what I need. And all of a sudden, you stay on them for the rest of your life without realising... That's not, and even if I did have depression because I was hopeless, upset, angry at God because he allowed this to happen to me, you can still ask for something and then complain when you get it, that's not going to be healed through antidepressants. That's going to be healed by us repenting and saying, 
Forgive me, God, for complaining. Forgive me for being hopeless. Forgive me for my wrong attitude. Give me the right attitude. Whatever happens is your will. And I asked for it. So it couldn't have been from that, so I didn't take it. That's why you've got to be careful. Little kids, they take them to doctors and the parents say, oh, he's being disobedient, etc., this and that. Go, oh, he has to take the ADHD medication. And now, it just came out a, a, a little while ago that they say that there are hundreds of thousands of children that are on ADHD. And then they came out, after my last talk on the current affairs, I think it was the next night, when I was talking about that the kids are too young to go, especially boys, to go to school, they're too young. So what happened was that they came out and said um, that boys that go to school at very early age, around four, a lot of them are on ADHD medication, attention deficit hyperactivity disorders, all right? And they're on this medication. No, 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 they don't need medication. They're boys. They're more active. What do they need? They need to be plain. They can't put a four-year-old, five-year-old boy to sit at a table all day. That's not their nature. Girls, a little bit better, not boys. So all these boys are on this ADHD medication because they were taken to school early. So why do they even let that out? Because usually the feminists don't allow those things out. Because then it says, oh no, that means mothers should take care of their kids and they shouldn't take them to school early, things like that. The feminists are keeping a lot of information from women, especially women. And that's why women have the highest mental illness rates. They're, they're miserable. And women today are the most miserable of creatures. And why? The feminists. So that's what I heard the next day, I think, on Current Affair. What's your problem? Oh, the child can't sit still in class. Oh, yeah, how old did he go? Uh, well, we started him off for four years and five months, but before that he went also to the childcare. Okay, and what's happening? Well, the teacher complains and says that he just won't sit down. He's always fidgeting, moving around, walks around, can't understand to sit down. Okay. What did the teacher say? He goes, oh, they said that we should put him on ADHD. So the teacher's actually pushing for it too. We should put him on ADHD medication, which is Ritalin. So they say you've got to put him on Ritalin because the teacher said it. And when the teacher says it, it's like an angel from heaven says it. So I would say to the person, no, 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 I can tell you, you took the child too early to school. It's a boy. It can't sit in class. It can't, it can't do that. The older they are, the better. I mean, the law is six years old. If you have to send them to these putrid places, send them at six. Six years old, you can send the child to school. But four and a half, the parents send them. Why? Cheap daycare. They have to pay the daycare prices. At least the daycare, at least they walk around and play a bit. They're not really told to sit down. I think that's how it is. But in the school, they've got to sit down. And then they're four and a half years old and they're told, now we're going to teach you how to write your name. And the child can't even hold the pencil. And it's trying to write it. Then they ring up the mother, your child can't write. 
needs special education. So the child's got to go to special education classes and it comes out thinking it's dumb, low self-esteem. What's going to happen to that child when he grows up? Well, they've told us they don't progress in life. When they go to school too early, they do not progress the same as those who went older because they're too young. And on top of that, they're given the ADHD medication. So what I said at the beginning of the talk, you're being lied to. There's a lot of lying going on. One guy who was from Russia said that he was brought up during the communist times. And he said to me, I always knew, me and my friends, we always knew that whatever the radio or the television said, we knew it was all propaganda. We knew it was what the KGB and the communists wanted us to believe. Go, okay. But then when I came to Australia, I thought it would be better. I go, oh, yes. And what have you noticed now? He goes, they lie here as well. And hence, in Russia, it was called the KGB. And in the West, it's called the WKGB. Western KGB. That's what I call it. Lies, lies, lies. On that note, let's eat, or not me, but you're going to eat now, and then we'll come back in about 10, 15 minutes to continue on this um, most enlightening talk. I think it's enlightening. Okay, I have to make a correction because, see, this is when you don't know the topic too well and you use the wrong words. So someone came up to me later on who actually studied social work in, social work or whatever, and she said that, no, they are taught to have empathy but not sympathy. Then I asked the doctor as well. I used the wrong word. She says, no, we have to feel empathy because we have to understand the person. I said, so what's empathy? She explained, I go, oh, so you have to feel intellectually that you understand the person. She goes, yes. So you don't feel what the person's going through. No, no, we're not allowed. That's called sympathy or you're feeling for the person. You don't do that. So the spiritual father feels, and in the case of some holy spiritual fathers, they actually felt the pain of the person that they were helping. St. Paisius felt pain for the people that he was helping. So I used the wrong word. So social workers and psychologists are allowed to feel dry empathy. I'll put in the word dry. Dry intellectual empathy. But they're not allowed to feel pain for the person. If that's what sympathy is, according to that person. She said that's what they're taught. So I made a mistake there. And I also was told another thing by our doctor friend here, Zora, who said that uh, B12 is something which can only be found in animal products. So vegetarians don't get the B12. So it was that this can only be found in animal products. That's why vegetarians are given a lot of these B12 vitamins. However, the study that I read, it actually said that these injections, etc., they still don't work as well as the natural B12, which is found in high concentrate in the animal products. Now, some people lack that who aren't vegetarians, but they just lack it. And that's why they feel cravings a lot for meat and things like that. Now, 
if someone has a B12 problem and they go through an orthodox fast and they do the 40 days, for example, or really it's 50 days for Pascha in Lent, that means they're not having any animal products. And what I've noticed is that some of them go bonkers, as we say in Australia. They, they lose their minds sometimes after three, four days, one week, two weeks. Now, I think to myself, is it psychosomatic? In other words, are they saying, oh, I don't want to fast? And they go, oh, I, feel, I feel mental, I feel sick. That's making that up. But what I've realised is that some of these people who I've noticed they have this problem, they want to fast. And I tell them, you can't fast. And then they kind of go against it, go, no, I want to fast. So it's, they can't be psychosomatic. They want to do it. So it can't be that they're making that up. If they do the fast with no animal product at all, then they've got a high chance of having a mental crisis. Some of them get aggressive. Some of them become very depressed, melancholic. And I've noticed that. And then yet when they go to the doctors... And they say, I feel weak or I feel this. The doctors say, I will do a blood tech or whatever. whatever." And they say, you're all right. I don't know, do they do B12? If a person comes and says they're weak, do they do the B12 or they don't don't hardly do that test? So, but I think, so a lot of doctors wouldn't do it. And if the person's not explaining to them, doctor, I'm not eating any animal products, I haven't eaten anything for three weeks or four weeks, for the person to say, oh, maybe you've got a B12 deficiency. Because remember, a lot of doctors, they've been educated by the drug companies. They only know how to prescribe drugs. They don't understand, they can't think. But there's also other lacks, which is iron, which can affect the brain. I think the amino... Folic acid, not the amino. Folic folic acid... Zinc, all these things, I had a whole list of them, I was going to go through them one day, of all these things that can affect. So a child can have these problems. And then you think, and the doctor thinks, oh, they've got mental issues, they need to take medication. But they haven't. They've got physiological problems. And before I continue on, just quickly, I was dealing with a woman once who was on the medication she had racing thoughts, really, the mind was going 100 miles per hour, thoughts, 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 um, jealousy, hate, thoughts, envy, um, just 100 miles per hour. And um, so she said to me, at times when she's in this state, listen to this, if she humbles herself and repents of what she's got, it slows down, it kind of goes away. Interesting that she actually said that. But she says that only happens that she kind of can do that sometimes, a lot of times she doesn't even think of it. And she just goes on and on with thoughts and jealousies and hates and jealousies and hates and, and things like that. So she went on the medication, and this was years ago, and I actually observed, I wanted to see how that medication will affect this person. I didn't prescribe because I'm not a doctor, obviously. So she went to a doctor and got him. So she went there, and after some months, I said, so how's your thoughts? She goes, 99.9% gone. I go, wow, that's really 
Amazing, 99 points. Because yeah, I need a little bit, but I can pretty much control that. But when I'm on my periods or if I'm really tired, it can be a little bit more. When, I'm, when my body's stressed, they do, it does come back a little bit, but not as much. But most of the time, if I'm taking care of myself, 99.9% gone. I said, and what else do you feel? Oh, I'm constantly tired. I'm forgetful. I can't think. See, it slows down everything. And she goes, um, but once... I didn't take it for a few days. Okay, what happened then? It started coming back. So what's her problem? Does she have a biological problem? Or does she have a spiritual problem? Hard to know. I believe she's got a little bit of both. However, she was scared, those times when I spoke to her years ago, she was scared to go off those tablets because she was scared of those thoughts. Now, if she was on those tablets at the time and then went to a spiritual father and tried to work on the problems and then decrease them, as Elder Paisio said, slowly and work and correct your thoughts of not to be jealous, not to have hate, etc. Now, a lot of times these mental issues come from young where it's actually ingrained in the person. It's like programmed. The person's programmed to have anxieties, hate, fear, insecurities, this, that. It's actually programmed and it's beyond them. Now, you might say if it's beyond them, then they can't be guilty. When Elder Paisius, in that book that they did on him, when he speaks about negative thoughts, he does say that some people do have it from young, but he doesn't justify them fully. They still need to repent. So even if your condition is because of your youth, because you were traumatised, you were physically abused, mentally abused, whatever, you still, as an adult, can repent for the wrong things that you have. Even if it's not fully from you. But as an adult, you have now the ability to either go along with those thoughts or use the church and ask God for help and healing and repent. Now I'm going to read for you quickly what I read in the other three talks to show you what we mean by spiritual illnesses which cannot be helped by medication but they can repress it, the pain. This is what the saints mean. We said it's got to do with trauma, it's got to do with job loss, someone died, uh, financial loss, a lot of things. You've been ridiculed, You've been slandered. These cause pain. So you go to the doctor and the doctor helps you to calm you down, but doesn't heal you. Now, let's have a look. I'll read them quickly and then we'll go on first to talk. St. Porfirio says, If the mother doesn't want the child while she's pregnant, if she doesn't love it, then the embryo senses this and traumas are created in the baby's soul that stay with it all its life. So the child's not responsible for that. That's the mother's fault. The mother was the one that was, um, didn't want the child. So the child gets born, goes up and has problems. Does it mean the medication can help that, that person? Yes, to numb the pain. But that child, when it grows up or when it's young, needs healing. How does it get healed through the psychiatrist? If they can't get access to the church, to God's priests, yes, they can help a little bit. Most of the time they just give you pills, 
But if you go to a psychologist, they don't like pills, they mostly talk to you, so maybe it can help you a little bit, but it can't heal properly. But the church can heal those type of things. The next one, St. Paisus. If a pregnant mother is agitated and worried, the embryo she's carrying in her womb is agitated. In other words, traumatised. And he also says that that child's affected after it's born. St. Paisus. Parents, if they don't treat their children with affection and love, this is the reason why they have psychological problems later. Is it the child's fault? No. Can it be helped by medication? If it's bad and there's no other solution, yes, to help it not to commit suicide, the child, or not to damage themselves or go on to complete delusion. But it's not going to heal them. However, the church can help them and a psychologist can help them a little bit with some scraps. But it's still better than nothing. But the healing takes place in the church because traumas, these type of problems, are spiritual problems. They cannot be helped by medication. And one more, or two more, a psychological state, this is Elder Porfirios, a psychological state is created in a child as the result of its parents that accompanies it throughout its life. Its later behaviour, the child's later behaviour, and its relationship with others are directly connected with the experiences that it carries with it from childhood years. And I put in brackets after experiences, it means traumas. The traumas that it goes through from the parents, or rather other reasons, will continue in that child's life for the rest of its life. And that's why that person, when he or she grows up, can either go to a psychologist to get medication to help with the pain if it's really bad, which means that it will slow down their thoughts. Maybe the psychologist can talk a little bit to them and make them, give them some help. But ultimately, it's the church which heals. What happens if the priest can't help you? Well, there's ways around that. What do you do? You go and confess your sins. So even if the priest can't guide you, they can give you some advice, that's good. Um, if they're into their psychology, just block your ears and you get forgiveness of sins. Get absolution. That's healing itself as well. Then you can get the priest to read your prayers for sicknesses. Then you can drink holy water every morning. Then you can put unction oil on you every day or go to an unction. That's healing. Holy Communion, that's healing. That's so great that we've even got those things. The best would be to have enlightened spiritual fathers that can guide us and heal us and help us, but that doesn't exist. So we say to God, if there was a good spiritual father, and there might be some here in Australia, I'm not sure, but if there was a good one that I knew was good, I would go to them. And God knows if you would go. He knows. If there was a proper one and a good one, he knows if you would go to them. And if there's none, then God will bless you, will help you more, possibly even more, than those who have access to a good spiritual father because that person hasn't got it. Why should he be deprived? So he will be helped because God knows if there was a priest, that person would go to them. But 
What do you say about those who know that there's a good spiritual father? They know that at such and such a parish or such and such a monastery, there's a good spiritual father that helps people, but they don't go. They don't go because they've got ego, they don't want to be told what to do, etc. And they just go to another priest which just listens to your sins and reads you. Is that person going to be helped? No, because he had the opportunity, but he didn't choose or she didn't choose. So there's still a lot of healing that can take place in the church, even if there are no spiritual fathers or limited or whatever who cannot, as Yerothos Velakos said there, who are, who are not equipped to do that. I'm not equipped. When a person comes to me and says they've got mental issues, I might help them a little bit as much as I can. I don't know. Where does that mental issue come? Is it physical? Is it from trauma? Is it from spiritual? Is it guilt? Is it other sins? I don't know what it is. I don't have that discernment. So what do I do? I use the priesthood. I use the priesthood that's been given. So what do I do? I read them prayers. Read over them prayers for the sick. What I can't do, the priesthood will do. What else do I do? Commemorate them in the liturgy. Let me tell you a little thing that I read. Some elder was sent a letter by a woman and he didn't answer. Then the woman visited the monastery later on and says, Elder, I'm very upset. I sent you a letter and you didn't answer me. That really upset me. And he said to her, words are good, he said. Words are good, advice is good. But above all that is prayers. Prayers can do a lot that words can't, unless, of course, there's a God-enlightened spiritual father, let's just say. But even if there is a God-enlightened spiritual father, a lot of times they might not even advise the person. They just, just, they just do prayers. And they said, what would you rather have? My words or the superior help of commemorations in the liturgy? And she goes, oh, elder, the, the commemorations. He goes, that's right. So let's face it, a lot of people speak to me that go to different priests. And it's horrible to say, but the tragedy, it just doesn't stop. One man said, I took my daughter to, the, to a priest. My daughter was a teenager. I go, yeah, what happened? Well, she said to him that, She's having sex with her, with her boyfriend. And then the priest said, oh, well, if you're in love. That's one. That's, that's extreme, don't you think? Then another person comes to me. Father, guess what happened? I said, what? I went to such and such a person, an abbot of the monastery. I said, really? Yes, and what happened? He sounded like upset. He goes, very upset. He told me to take my child out of the Orthodox school and to put it into a Catholic school because they're better. Is that worth a while? You know, you know the Protestants say, give us an amin, and they will call out amin. 
I don't like that, it's Protestant. I've got another one. Is that worth a wow? Let's all say wow, like that's really wow. Let's take the child out of the Orthodox school and put it into the Catholic school because you get a better education, they've got better morals. And let me not start on the Catholic schools because I'll go on for about an hour or more, if not till, till midnight. It just goes on and on and on. It's just so tragic, really. If the young child is, this is the same uses, if the young child is filled with affection and love, later that child will be strong and able to face the problems of life. So if the child is given love and affection, which most children aren't, then the child will be strong and able to face the problems of life. So let's, let's rewrite it. If the young child is not given affection and love, later that child will be weak and unable to face the problems of life. That's psychological problems. Can that be cured through medication? Band-aid, if they can't get access, if, there's, if they're really bad. Uh, but the church heals. How about a psychologist? Maybe they can help a little bit, give a bit of advice. Maybe change your frame of mind a little bit. But where do we get healed? In the church. Can you go to both? Yes. I sometimes, because I'm not sure whether the person's problem is like physical. I don't know what, where the mental illness comes from. I say, if you, they say, I want to go to a psychiatrist. Well, if you want to go, I can't stop you. So I say to them, you do that and I'll do the, the spiritual side of things. I'll read you prayers, we'll do commemoration of the liturgy, you go to the parish priest, get him to read you prayers. And the last one, Elder Paiso says this, you see, children don't only receive milk when they're breastfed, they also receive love, consolation, tenderness and security. In this way they also develop a strong character, same words, and become strong in soul. And what's the opposite to strong in soul, like I said before? Well, it means weakened soul. That's, that means that they suffer from anxieties, fears, phobias, insecurities. And what are a lot of those things? Mental illnesses. So St. Paiusa was very pro-breastfeeding. He says it's spiritual. And physical, obviously, the breast milk's better for them. But also it's spiritual. Now, if a child's not breastfed, and then they're put in front of the TV a lot too, the first two years, I say it should be more, first seven, eight years, better, not at all, but let's look at what the psychiatrists say, two years. Two years you should breastfeed. Two years you should take care of your own child, no daycare. Two years, no TV. Two years. That's the most important time. If you even do that, you, your child will have a head start that cannot even be comprehended in your mind if you just give it that. If you give it even more, breastfeed it to four and keep it out of daycare indefinitely and don't go to early school and keep it away from the TV which damages the brain and gives images which are disgusting and crazy, then you're going to have a holy child. In the case of the television, by the way, 
it causes damage to the brain. So that one needs a psychiatrist for sure, like something to, to check the brain. But also the images. In Queensland, there was a situation in which some schools have got internet access for little children. Got to learn the internet. Even though Bill Gates just came out and said, of Microsoft, Bill Gates said he didn't even give his children much internet access and he didn't even let them have mobile phones until they were 14. And he's the one that produces all these things. Why? He says because it damages them. But he doesn't mind damaging other people's children as long as he gets the, the moolah, the money. But for his own children, no, not much screen time, but especially no mobiles until they're 14. Interesting, isn't it? Because it damages the person, both physically from the, these, the flashing lights and the, con the continual images, 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 images. That's why I love when I see some children that have never, never watched television from young, never watched it, then they might watch something and then they watch the images and they go, it's too quick, too quick, I can't, I can't follow it. And it bothers them. They don't, they don't want to watch it. They're not used to it. But the other children, they're glued, glued, glued. The images, the faster the better. 50 images per second, just about. Who knows? It's an exaggeration. But that damages the mind physically, as shown in a lot of research. So those people, some the damages obviously that they need a, a doctor. I don't know how, even how much they can be helped. But the spiritual ailments like trauma and all that, in emergencies, they can take medication. If possible, go to the church. If necessary, do both, if it's bad. Go on the medication, go to the priest as well. That's what I'd advise, because how do I know what the problem with the, the person is? Because sometimes I can guess. It's like possession. As I did in talks 58, 59, it's hard to know. Is that person possessed or is that person mentally ill? How do we know? Now, discerning spiritual fathers that have got the gift of God, they can know. Elder Paisios, what he used to do is he used to have, I think, uh, some relics of the saints. And what he would do is he would go behind the person and pretend that he was putting his hand on the person to say, you know, how are you, whatever. But in his hand he had relics, but the person didn't know. And if the person started screaming and go, you're burning me, then they knew he was possessed. But if the person was told, these are relics, I'm going to put them on you to read you, they can go, oh, and they start screaming, but it might be just mental thing for attention. There's certain ways that you can tell. See, when you give someone that's possessed holy water, they burn. But the thing is, they might be mentally ill, and they go, they, they drink water, and they go, I'm burning. But then you give them ordinary water and tell them it's holy water and they go, I'm burning. So you know it's mental. Hard to tell. What I tell these people, I just say, do the church life and it will show. It will come out and you'll be healed through the church life. The same with mental issues. Is it physical? Is it trauma? Is it from a result of sin? Is it the wrong attitude? There's all these issues. 
So that's the psychological section that I was going to do, but there's more to come in, the, in future talks, God willing. Now the next part of the talk. A person asked Elder Paisios, Elder, are the parents the only ones responsible for a child's upbringing? He answers, parents who give birth to children and give them their body need to contribute as best they can towards their spiritual rebirth. Parents are not only there to have sexual relations, produce a child physically, and that's it. But they're supposed to contribute towards the child's spiritual rebirth. Today, most parents don't understand that. They think that their job is to have their sexual relations, have the child, and then later on to bring up their child like a pet. You give food, you give shelter, you clothe it, you educate it. Nothing about the spiritual. The child hasn't got just a body. It's got a soul. For if a person is not regenerated spiritually, he is bound for hell. So the elder saying, if the child is not regenerated, in other words, doesn't go through a spiritual rebirth, then it's not going to be saved. And he uses the harsh words, he's bound for hell. Because some people say, oh, Elder Paisa spoke so positive compared to you. You say harsh things. The saints did speak positively, and sometimes they had to reprimand, and sometimes they had to use harsh language to wake people up. To think that we live at some fantasy land where everything's beautiful, like I'm here with a magic wand and saying to everyone all nice, pretty things. No, you've got to go to the library certain times of the day. I think they have kids' times where they do stories. So you can all sit on the mat there and you can listen to the stories. But I'm sorry, not here. So let's have a look here. Also, that which parents cannot do themselves for their children should be entrusted to teachers. So the main responsibility, the main spiritual responsibility of children are the parents, especially in the first years. The first years. But if they are not capable because they have uh, certain limitations or they're not able to do it, he says then these children should be entrusted to teachers. What does he mean by teachers? This is why our church, in her prayers, refers to, quote, our parents and our teachers. So when the priests do petitions, they go, and for the parents and teachers. These are in Orthodox prayer books. So who are these teachers? Well, let's go on and we'll see. St. Paisa says, There are also spiritual fathers who, although they may not have children of their own, can assist in a positive way with the upbringing of children since it is they who labour for the children's spiritual renewal. So obviously the main person is the priest. I don't get too much involved in the children are too young because that's the parents' job. I only get involved if the parents are out of it. That should be the parents. What did Christ do when we read? The children came to him. What did he do? He hugged them. He blessed them. Does it say in the gospel he spoke to them? Not really. Because they were young. 
These people send their kids to these Sunday schools at five years old. They're too young. These things are too young. And what happens is the children can come out of those places atheists. Why? Because they're listening to things which are intellectually above them and they're trying to comprehend it. You don't speak about these a lot of things. Like I'll give you an example. Um, in, in America this happened. A woman said to the children, now children, when you go to church and we have the body and blood of Christ, that's what you have and you have in his body and blood. So the next Sunday, uh, the children wouldn't go for communion. And it was discovered that they didn't want to go because they thought they're going to have real blood and real body. Now, one would think, isn't that what you're supposed to teach? See, yeah, but not to young, young kids. You've got to be careful what you say. And there's other things we can say. We could talk about hell. Some children, they can't work that out. Even miracles. Even miracles are difficult. So one father once was talking to his child about miracles. The child was around five, six, and he goes, nah, that didn't happen. And he's trying to work it out. Nah, I don't believe that. But shouldn't we talk about miracles? There's a time, there's an age. We've got to be very careful of this. Anyway, so the priest gets involved, uh, especially if the parents are incapable. But even if the parents are capable, they, they will need the help of the priest as time goes on. And I love this part where he says, even if the priests don't have children, meaning priest monks, they can assist in a positive way with the upbringing of children since it is they who labour for the children's spiritual renewal. They're the ones that give birth to the child spiritually. They're praying for the child. They're, they're guiding the child to come to Christ, to be spiritually born. He doesn't say married priest, by the way. Obviously, there's married priests. But he does emphasise the priest monks. Now, that's sad because there's a lot of people who are against priest monks dealing with people in the world even though the monasteries are being flooded every day by lay people going to priest monks for confession, not to their parishes much. They go to the priest monks. I wonder why. But there are some very good married priests. A person said to me years ago, you don't know, because you have no children, you don't know the responsibility of having children like we who have got children, you know, we take care of them, we have to feed them, clothe them, etc., educate them. That's what he said to me. Maybe he never read all the Paisios, quote, it is they, meaning the priest monks and the priests in general, who labour for the children's spiritual renewal. Taking care of a child's physical needs like food, shelter, clothes, education, is easier because even the pagans do that and they do sometimes a better job than orthodox people. They take care of their children. But to take care of the children spiritually, to take on the weight, the responsibility of a child's soul cannot be compared. When you try to help someone spiritually... You've got to deal with the demons which not only attack the family but attack the priest, trying to separate. 
If the priest is legitimately, sincerely trying to help that family come to, to Christ, everyone's going to get attacked. A spiritual father who is serious and trying to help people spiritually through repentance, through the mysteries, through the commandments of Christ, if he's trying to do that, that spiritual father will be attacked. There's a difference between a priest monk and a married priest. When a married priest is helping someone sincerely to bring them to the faith properly, he'll be attacked too. Even if that priest is holy and good, the devil goes to the next step, the wife. The Matushka, the, the, the Presbytera, the Papadiaj, call them. Then they, he goes there, attacks her. That's why some of them go berserk, crazy. Then he attacks the children. Now, when a priest monk's helping spiritually, then they'll try and attack him. But if he's spiritually connected to the, the liturgies, serving continually, praying, then it might not be as easy to pull him down. So what do they do then? Are they going to go to his wife? Well, he's not married. Are they going to go to his children? Not, they've got no children. And if the priest, monk, is connected to a monastery, then those demons have got hardly no chance at all of knocking him down because he's connected to the monastery. That's why it's important for priest monks to be connected to a monastery. I know there are a lot of them in the world. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, some of them do, like Father Epiphanius. He was a priest monk. He had a parish and he was able to keep himself there are a number of people who are negative towards parents who allow priests to influence their children. So sometimes when you allow a priest to come into your life, you get attacked from relatives. You go, why you got the priest coming? Why is he going to tell them? Are oh, you going to make your children sick? So sometimes you go through these temptations, God permits that, to see how much you value the help of the priest. Let's go on now about the best inheritance. St. Paisius continues, What I'm trying to say is that everyone should help the children, each person in his own way, with their good example, so that the children may be renewed, live peacefully in this life, and ultimately go to paradise. Oh, that word paradise. You don't hear that much anymore, do you? You don't hear it because it might, it might offend people. So if the priest says, We have to struggle so that we can go to heaven... We need to be in the church so that we can go to heaven. Which means if we don't struggle, we go to hell. Then people come and say, well, my father died and he wasn't in the church. Does that mean he goes to hell? And they start pulling their hair and getting upset. So a lot of times the clergy avoid. They actually avoid it. They can't even say the, the gospel truths. They avoid it. What's going on there? That's, that's just um, really bad. 
So a lot of the things I'm telling you now, here, I would be reluctant to say in the church because I don't know a lot of times who's there. How much do they know? That's why I like these meetings better. When you come, you come, you know what you're going to get. I don't have to hold back. Now, it doesn't mean I'm not going to say it in the church. I will say it, but I'll say it in a more subtle way, in a more careful way to try and get the message across. But I still have to give the gospel truths. If I don't, then I'm not doing my job and I'm going to give word. And then I'm going to go to hell, for sure. Yerunda, or elder, how can I acquire devoutness? In other words, how can I acquire piety? He answers, the Holy Fathers say that to acquire piety, one must associate with devout people, with spiritual people, and observe how they behave. When St. Paisius the Great was asked, not St. Paisius the Athenite, this is St. Paisius is quoting an, another one called St. Paisius the Great. Um, how can I acquire the fear of God? The saint was asked. St. Paisius, how can we acquire the fear of God? He answered, not that they called him saint, but elder, but I'm just saying that so you can understand. How do we acquire the fear of God? He answered, you must associate with people who love God and have the fear of God in their heart so that you too may acquire such divine fear, so that you can acquire this piety, devoutness. This is really, really important because a lot of Orthodox Christians do not associate with spiritual people. They associate with worldly people. Does that mean we hate those people? No, but those people aren't good for us. They're not good examples. We don't hate them. But if they're not going to be good for our children, not good for us, why do we have to hang around with them? That's why I used to love when I used to go overseas to monasteries. Or back in the old days when I used to go to Kentland, to the Russian monasteries, there's a lot of nuns there. I love that because I'm looking at their piety. I'm looking at their spirituality and that influenced me. I love that. And that's why in America now, with all these monasteries of Elder Ephraim, so many Greeks, Russians, Serbians, Antiochians, they're all running to these monasteries. These monasteries run exactly like they run in Manathos. Same typical, same order, liturgies every day, services, like eight-hour services a day. The monks do three-hour prayer rules, while we can barely do three minutes. And looking at that, it influences you. I, I used to love that. Now that I'm sick, I'm more limited. That's what you should do. Go find spiritual people and associate with them so their spirituality, their wholeness can rub off on you. And then I wrote a little list. Are the following good examples for children? In other words, is wholeness going to rub off on them? Number one, teachers at school. Are they going to be a good influence? Is their way of life a good example? Are they going to, is their spirit going to rub off on the children and create a good thing? 
Um, no. Back in the old days, in Greece, and there was pious teachers. They were pious. They were spiritual people who understood the responsibility that they had to bring up children. And they would educate them in Christ. That's why it was all mixed. They had religion, they had the lessons, mathematics and things like that, but as well religion, history, uh, the gospel, and they were good examples. What do we have now in the schools? Lesbians, homosexuals, fornicators, uh, druggos. What else do we have? Communists, this, political, crazy, feminists, and yet people send them to the school. Why? Education. Education. Education, they're just there, that's how the parents are kind of educated. It's like they're at a, like a, at a concert, a pop concert. And you know how they wave their hands? Or at a, where they go like this, when they're waving, the, I don't know, in the soccer matches, where they all sing, they sing the name of the team. Or they can just go, they can do the wave. Education, education, like they worship and education. Number two, teachers at daycare, the childcare centres, are they good examples? Are they going to give off holiness? Number three, relatives and friends who help take care of the children. Some parents don't give their children to daycares, they give them to relatives and friends. Are those relatives and friends good examples? Are they going to give off spirituality to the children? But not only that, it's relatives and friends who... You associate with, as parents, you associate with people who may be not good examples, just visiting, help, just friends. Then there's church teachers, Sunday school teachers, youth and fellowship leaders, camp or retreat leaders, all these people. Are they good examples? One would think yes, because they're in the church, but a lot of times some of them, they're not really leading a proper life. Not all of them. Some of them are pious and had good influence, and some of them are not. And the last one, priests. Are the priests that you are going to, are they good examples? Are they causing scandals in the church through their life, which is not appropriate? Like your child seeing the priest smoking? Is that a good image for the child to be imprinted in its mind? Or to see the priest... Um, Saying inappropriate words? Is that a good example? But what happens if that's our parish priest? Our parish priest is like, well, go to another parish. I think that's why we've got cars. We drive, we drive. And one good thing about being in Sydney or other places, you've got a lot of parishes, Serbian, Russian, Greek, Antiochian, go and find the best priest. But I'm Serbian, if, oh, there's a really good priest, but that one's Russian. I don't understand what they're talking about. Bad luck, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. When I started going to Russian churches, when I was a lay person, I loved it. I didn't understand what they were talking about, but I loved it because of the piety. Back in those days, the, there was more of them, a lot of them have died now. These were, were from Shanghai, a lot of these Russians, they were the, the old stock. They were really pious, and some of them still exist. Very pious. I loved looking at that. The way that they bowed, the way they kissed the icon, the faith, the prayer that they had. They'd be praying in, their, in themselves, whispering prayers and things like that. 
And even I didn't understand it. And at the end, I, I preferred going to those churches than rather going to churches where I understood the language better. Because to me, piety is very important. If you don't understand the language, then use a book. That to me is the most important. And it's not just that, it's the parishioners too. Like there's some churches here in Australia where it's even in English, for example. It might be in English. Good, really fantastic. And yet the people there, there's women in their jeans, tight jeans, low-cut shirts or tops, whatever you call those things, men in short-sleeve shirts. Uh, no, there's only no piety. And then you might say, oh, but you shouldn't judge. They can do whatever they want. But why should you let your children see that? Uncovered heads. Lipstick. A lot of them. You go to kiss the icon and it's full of lips. The, the imprint of lips, red lips. And they come and kiss your hand and then you, you got to get the door these lip-shaped reds on my, on my hand. That's not a good example. Now, it's not judging. And that's what the saint said as well. St. Paisu says, hang around with people that are devout. Find the devout parishes, find devout priests, find the best spiritual father to confess to, etc. If you can't, go and confess your sins. If you get some advice, good. If it's good, you can keep it. If it's not, if it's um, if it's straight from Freud, just get rid of it. And then just use the church and get healing from the church. God knows. He knows that you would have gone to a good one if one existed. You can also write overseas to spiritual fathers if you know some. I know, St. Paisio says, I know how much the parents' good example helps the children. Just today, two little girls came. One was about three and the other was about four years old. With their pious parents, I enjoyed them so much. They were like little angels. They sat down and covered their little knees with their little dresses. Today, a lot of girls don't wear dresses. They wear shorts and pants, etc. So anyway, they had little dresses. And they were like little angels. This is a saint speaking. Let's see what the saint looks for in people. They were so reserved, like in other words, they were so well behaved, so respectful. And all this comes from the behaviour of the parents. When children see their parents have love and respect for one another, behaving with discernment, praying and so on, then these positive images are imprinted on the soul of their children. This is why I say that the best inheritance the parents can give their children is their own spiritual life. Not part of your superannuation payout at the end when you get, oh, okay, I'm going to get 200000 I'll give each child 30000 and I'll keep the rest for all that. That's not a good inheritance. If you can do it, you can help the children. Or you, you buy a couple of houses that you can give each child a house. And in, in gratitude, they'll put you in the nursing home. The best inheritance for the child, St. Paisus says, is your spiritual life, which gives off these images. Now, when I was young, my parents weren't religious. But my mother did have icons 
but she had them up high on the cupboard. Now, what they were doing there, I don't know. So I never learnt to kiss icons. I didn't even know you kissed them. So she had them up there, and every Saturday night, or a night, maybe I think, maybe before a feast, I'm not sure, I remember the Saturday night, I'm in my cot there, young, but I can remember, the lambada, the oil lamp was on, and then she would walk around and sense, with the sense, uh, and then she said, do you cross? So we used to do it when we were young. And then, that's it. That was my spiritual education. And after a few years, when I got older, when she said, do you cross? I said, no. No, I don't. I don't, I, I don't want to do it. Then she said, oh, you should go to church so you can commune. I said, what's that? You go and commune, but you've got to fast. I'm not going to fast. And later on, she became a little bit more religious. It's Good Friday. You don't eat meat today. Sorry, no one's going to tell me not to eat meat on any day. So I ate meat on Friday, on Good Friday. <gasps> what's he saying? <laughs> no, 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 you missed the point. I'm glad that I was brought up by parents who were indifferent to the faith because when I came to the faith, I had a clean slate. My mind was clear of any teachings which my parents would have given me, which a lot of it would have been wrong. A lot of children are brought up by religious parents and the parents make a lot of mistakes and confuse the children. And then, then later on, a lot of those children fall away from the church. Now, my parents weren't religious. That's okay. Later on, they changed. But when I went to church, I didn't have to go through all this muck in me of all these wrong views. And plus, you don't force your children to fast when they don't even know who Christ is or why they fasted. It's not necessary. You leave them alone. They don't want to do it. They don't want to do it. That's wrong. That's Muslim type of things where they, where they force you to do things if you don't understand what's going on. We're not Muslims. We're not Protestants where a lot of them in the old days were like puritanical. You have to do this. You can't have sex. You can't. Yeah, you, you teach them the best as you can. But if they're going to do it, they're going to do it. I don't know. You didn't teach them who Christ is. You didn't teach about the church. You didn't teach about lives of saints. You didn't teach them about the commandments. Well, they're not going to understand. So if you force them to do it, later on they're going to reject. I wasn't forced. So therefore, I was in a better position to when the time came, at around the age of 25, to come to the church. So I'm glad that I wasn't forced. And another example... St. Paisus saw some children that were really, really pious and he said at the end, you could see that she had imitated the girl, the little girl, that she had imitated her parents. The father had a very good and generous spirit. I embraced him, kissed him and congratulated him. I gave him many blessings too. If such people move even the most hard-hearted person, you can imagine how much more they move God. That's what the saints look for. They don't look to see if your child at five can write its name. They don't look to see that your children know the A, B, C, D to Z at one years old. I mean, I suppose we can even teach a parrot. 
Even the, some of them, they can memorize a lot of words. But parrots don't have eternal souls. So that's not what the saint's looking for. Look what the saint's looking for. He's looking for the piety. And then he congratulates the parents, or the father, he wouldn't kiss them, the wife, obviously. And he embraced the father. He kissed him and congratulated him. Now, I'm no saint, but that's what I look for. That's what I look for. I'm not interested. Oh, father, guess what? Look at what? My child got into university. That's, that's Galactoburuk as well. My child got into university <laughs> as they're drowning in their saliva. Really? How about um, piety? Oh, he's got a girlfriend, he has sex, this and that, whatever. But he got into university. No, not interested. That's what, that's what the saints look for and that's what the priest should look for. Not whether the child came first in New South Wales sports team. That's what they look for. And I like that too. I gave him many blessings too. When a priest sees parents bringing up their children and the children are developing to pious people, their heart overflows with blessings and it says that even a hard-hearted person like an, even a person who doesn't even care much about God or, and they see such a good example in children even they're moved so he says if they move them then God is even more moved when he sees these, these parents bringing up their children in a spiritual way so the biggest help, St. Paisu says, and the best inheritance the parents can offer to their children is to make them receivers of their own natural kindness. The parents need to be kind and then to pass this on to the children. This does not require extra effort as young children whose minds are like tape recorders, are empty of any good or evil. Unless they watch TV, then they're full of evil. But let's just say if they're not watching that, as they're growing up, their minds are empty of good or evil, ready for you to put in the right things as parents. These children can easily absorb the behaviour of their immediate surroundings which is their parents. If a child sees the parents being polite, loving and speaking nicely to each other, humbly praying, then his soul, like carbon paper, he's using the old-fashioned things back in those days, we used to use, if you wanted to make a copy of something, you use carbon paper. So you write, you have the carbon paper and it makes another copy underneath. So it's like a photocopy. Now, we use photocopies, we don't use carbon papers. So we say they're like carbon paper. They will copy the good conduct of the parents. So their minds are empty of all this of evil or of good, ready for you to put into the child's, through your example, good images which will make that child good. Now, most of us were not brought up in families who had an ounce of kindness and goodness. That's what we weren't brought up. 
So therefore, those virtues are not in us, a lot of us. Some of you might have been, but the majority weren't. We saw the parents fighting, there was not much love, they never asked forgiveness, um, they weren't kind to each other, they were sarcastic to each other, this and that. So a lot of children, that's what they've seen all their life. When those children grow up and get married, they're not going to be able to give that to their children. They've never had it, so it's going to be harder, harder than those who are given that from young. Now today, because children watch a lot of TV, they're not looking at their parents. They're looking at the TV. They're watching the cartoons like people being pushed over cliffs, being hit with things, being shot, all these type of things. And that's the images going in their heads. Or they watch comedies, which is like a lot of stupidities. As adults, we can watch it and say, oh, that's silly, ha, 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 whatever. It's not going to affect us as much because we're old, we know. But when you're little children, that, that understand, that just goes in their brains. So a lot of the people, when they grow up, have not been brought up in those type of environments and therefore, as parents, those people would find it very difficult to give that to their children. Not impossible, but it's more work. That's why he says here that um, if children are given those proper images of kindness, goodness, etc., all those things, it's easy, it's such an easy process because the child's absorbing it. And then those children, when they grow up, they will carry those virtues with them. But I say, from what I've, what I've experienced from myself a lot and what I've experienced when talking to people, most people were not brought up in those environments. And especially because of the TV and now the internet, where children are glued on those things, they're not even looking at their parents. So you say their parents were good, very kind. The child's looking at that. They're not going to look at the parents to get those good images because it's glued on that. Do you understand that? So that's the thing. So one more here. It seems very difficult to... This is St. Porphyrus now. It seems very difficult to become good, but in reality it's very easy when from an early age you start with good experiences from the parents. So he agrees with St. Paisios. It's easy for children to learn these things from young. As you grow up, effort is not required. You have goodness within you and you experience it. You don't weary yourself. It's yours, a possession which you preserve if you are careful throughout your life. In other words, when a child's been brought up in an environment where their parents are loving, talking to each other in kindness, those images imprint on the child so easily, when the child grows up, that child will carry that virtue with him as long as he works to cultivate it and increase it and to keep it. Because if you start doing sins and all that, you're going to lose a lot of that. But it's easy for those children. And today, due to modern society, those things don't exist. So let's say, for example, a child's taken to daycare at one, two, three years old. What images is that child going to see that's going to be imprinted? Is he going to see or she going to see kindness and goodness? Maybe a little bit from the teachers. But most of the time the teachers change all the time. So they get attached to one and they move to another one, another one. And then you've got the examples of the children. that A lot of times they're there swearing bad things. You're fat, you're ugly, 
um, bullying them. There's no positive images there. And you might say, oh, but shouldn't the children learn to socialise? Read the research. Children don't socialise when they're young. They don't even know. That's why you see them when they're three, four years old. They barely play with each other. Even at the daycare, they are individuals. They don't know how to play together. That's not, that's not, they learn that when they get older. So they don't learn to socialise. Actually, it's been shown, and I believe this and the saints confirm it, that the children who do go to daycare are more antisocial than the ones who didn't go. Something happens to them there. I wonder what happens to them. No affection, no love, therefore they're weak in soul, therefore they can't handle problems in life. There's no images, positive images, except maybe some false uh, daycare teachers that smile falsely and they go, oh, that's nice, that's good, when it's false. You think the children don't pick up falsities? Okay, come back in five minutes. Just, um, I remembered an example two examples. I was helping a woman once who wanted to conceive and have a child and her husband was on antidepressants. She wasn't, but he was. And I said, so what happens? What do the doctors say? They said, oh, it's good to not be on them, even for the man, not to be on them um, at the time of conception. I said, okay, are you going to tell him to try and get off him? Yes, I told him, but he said, I'm not going to go off them because when, when I have them, I'm social. And that's true because it slows down a lot of your thoughts. It helps with social anxiety. That's why I take it. Now, um, that is a spiritual ailment. That's not a brain problem. And so therefore he, cho he chooses to be on those pills to help him be social. Plus he wasn't in the church, so, so if someone's got social anxiety, you need to look at why, you, why. It could be a lot of reasons. It could be from childhood, etc. Sometimes people are shy. We see lives of saints where some saints, like St Ambrose of Optina, was very social, used to make jokes, etc., and then we have others, like Elder Joseph of Optina, who was very quiet and didn't say much. Some saints were even shy, and some were open. It's a sin to not be accepting of the way you are so a lot of times, and to use drugs as a way to be social. That's one thing. The other thing is another lady that I was helping and she had mental issues, a lot of them trauma from young, and I didn't know fully whether she had some physical problems, but I did know that a lot of her psychological problems came from ego, like the other lady before I told you about. So she had a lot of ego. She found it difficult when people said her faults or told her something that she didn't agree with, she'd go, like, sometimes she'd go, uh, like, in a, in a tizzy, as they say. And she would find, then she'd have negative thoughts against that person. 
That's a spiritual ailment. Now, she was taking medication, and the medication slowed a lot of those things down, but sometimes they still used to come, but not as powerful, not as strong as what they, if she didn't have medication. So she stays on the medication. She would have to stay on the medication because when she's off it, then she becomes really enraged and she can't forget if someone says something to her. That's spiritual. That's a spiritual problem. It's called ego. It's called um, not forgiving. It's called remembrance of wrongs. These are all spiritual ailments which can be cured in the church. A psychologist, psychiatrist can maybe a little bit help you to try and correct your behaviour to some extent, but overall you need spiritual healing which comes from the church, comes from God. That's what the spiritual fathers are there for. Now, if the spiritual fathers are not equipped to be able to do that, you go and confess your sins and you do spiritual life and you do the commandments, then you force yourself to say, I'm not going to remember the wrong of that person. That's a spiritual thing. Instead of doing that, which is called spiritual struggle, that's what spiritual struggle means, instead we take pills so we don't have to struggle. One person said to me a few years ago, they said um, they were on psychiatric medication, the thoughts slowed down, they were really good. Oh, yeah, the 99% person. And then she had to go to a function. Now, usually when she wasn't on those pills, when she goes to those functions, her mind starts going and she gets jealous and she has hate and she gets this and she gets that. How come that person's pretty? How come that person... Uh, is social, etc., etc. And then it was suggested to her that maybe you can reduce the medication. Instead of 20, you can take 10 milligrams. The doctor said that slowly to try and get off it. So she was on the 20 milligrams or whatever she was taking, and then she started taking 10 a couple of days. During those couple of days, it started the thoughts. Because you see, when your thoughts are gone, or very low level when you're on it, when you're on the, the medication, you're not actually engaging in spiritual struggle. So you're not learning to deal with these issues. And she actually said to me, she goes, do you know what, Father? I go, what? She goes, I noticed that when I wasn't on the medication, I used to pray more, asking God, please heal me, please help me take away. And when I did do that, the thoughts would be would pretty much go away as if I was on medication from the grace. But a lot of times I didn't do it. That's what she said. And as soon as she reduced it a bit, they came again. Now what's going to have to happen there? Does she go back onto the 20? Or does she say, okay, I'll reduce it, as the doctor said, but now I'm going to use the teachings of the church to struggle with my passions, with my jealousy, passion, spiritual, my hate, passion, spiritual, with my envy, with my remembrance of wrongs, like the other person said before, with my ego. All those things are passions and spiritual. So she can either go back up to the 20 and they're all gone, or she can start reducing a little bit and start to learn to struggle and pray. But I like that. She goes, when I did pray... 
which was not much. But when I did pray, I felt help. But after my 99.9% of my thoughts left, I didn't pray much anymore because I had no need. So it kind of stopped spiritual life. And that's what Elder Paisius means. He goes, reduce it and then help the person in a positive way to teach the person to have good thoughts, proper thoughts, and to spiritually struggle with the passions that are spiritual. Medication does not cure passions. It doesn't cure it. And then later on, as I said years ago, I can't remember probably, and later on she goes to me, um, uh, I went back to the 20. I go, why? She says, because I had to go to a function and I knew that if I go to the function, I'm going to have thoughts. So I went back to the 20 so I don't have the thoughts. And after I do the function, then I can go back to the 10. So she was scared to reduce because she knew she has to deal with the thoughts. But the thoughts are healed through the grace of God. We need humility. We need repentance. We need the mysteries of the church. We need faith in God. We need to pray. And let me tell you another little secret. Sometimes God does take away a lot of these mental illnesses. or A lot of it is reduced. But sometimes he lets them stay, some of them to let them stay, for the person's humility. He lets them stay so they can struggle. I tell you that when I was sick with a thyroid and I had no restraint in anger, in things I used to say because it was like terrible, because remember I was also fasting at the time so I wasn't eating meat for six, seven years and I do have a B problem as well. So that was double trouble. But during that time, I prayed more. When I started getting better, I prayed less. So sometimes God allows these things to stay. Now, if they stay and you go somewhere and you get pulverised with thoughts, you've got to repent and say, God, forgive me or help me before I go. So when I had the low thyroid, etc., and I was going to school to teach, I would be tempted by the students more than before I got sick. So in other words, I was tempted, meaning that little things used to bother me because I couldn't take much. So I had to pray beforehand and say, protect me today, help me, that I don't smash someone because that's how bad it was. And when I used to go to church, I would pray hard for that. But later on, when I got better, the prayer became very weak, superficial. So that's why it's always good for God to send us afflictions for our spiritual good. Whether those afflictions are marital problems, whether it's a cancer, whether it's uh, losing a job, financial problems, whether it's mental illness whatever it is, then we accept these things. We try to get healed the best of our can, but sometimes they don't all go away. There was even a saint who someone did magic on him and he went blind. He went blind and it was from the magic. You know, people say, 
Oh, if you go to church and you commune, magic can't happen to you. Well, Saint Justina, when she had magic done on her to have sexual attraction towards someone that wanted to marry her, when Kiprian did the magic on her, she was inflamed with lust. Her body became inflamed, sexually inflamed, and she wanted to fall with the man. And then she would be praying and praying and praying and said, God, please help me. And she was doing her cross to pray. So to say that nothing happens to you, it's, I think you're watching too much Superman. You know, when they shoot Superman, it goes, bing, just bounces off. <laughs> so we think that someone does magic and just bounces off and we're just there. And nothing, no, no, that's not how it works. So anyway, this magic actually worked on this person, even though he was holy. And he went blind. Later on, he had prayers and all that done, but God permitted the blindness to stay. And he was blind for the rest of his life even though the blindness came from the magic. So all he has to do is go to the church, he gets read, he does prayers, have an exorcism, if you know, some of them do, and then it goes away because he's in the church. But God allowed it to stay. So it's the same with mental illness. I know people that are in the church for years. They commune often, they read spiritual books, they're struggling, they pray, but they've still got... Some OCD. OCD means they wash their hands continually. Things like, why? He might take it away altogether, or he might leave it for humility's sake. So the Optin elders used to say things like, um, if a person couldn't fast and they had to break the fast with fish, because they were very strict, then the person who was a saint would come and confess to the other saint and show pain that, ah, oh, I'm very upset. I cannot keep the fast. And then the Optin Elder would say, let this problem be an opportunity for you to learn humility. So you break the fast, which gives you humility, or you keep the fast, which you might turn out to have pride. I did all the fast. Which is better, to keep the fast and to have pride, or to... Break the fast with humility and condemning yourself. What's better, to have some mental illness and be humble or for it to go away completely and after that our minds fly even more in the air? What I've noticed with myself is that if I'm sick, which is most of the time, I, I feel more humble. But when I get a bit better, the brain starts flying. And I go, oh kind of miss the sickness. I think I feel safer. That's a good attitude, isn't it? When I say about these things about myself, it's not because I'm showing... I don't like theory. Theory bothers me. When children grow up in an atmosphere of freedom, at the same time are surrounded by the good example of grown-ups, they are a joy to see. The secret is to be good and saintly and inspire and radiate. In other words, give off, emit. Radiate meaning... Radiate good example, radiate kindness, goodness, etc. The life of the children seems to be affected by the radiation of their parents. If the parents insist, come on now, go and make confession, go and receive communion, and so on, nothing is achieved. But what does your child see in you? How do you live and what do you radiate? What example are you? What do you give off? 
Does Christ radiate in you? Do you reflect the commandments of Christ? That is what is transmitted to children. This is where the secret lies. And if this is done when the child is young, it will not be necessary for the child to undergo great travail when it grows up. Great travail means great pain and suffering. When a child is given this from young, then their life will be easier. They can still have afflictions and trials, but they can handle it better. But when they're not given this, then they will suffer because they don't have the spirituality to be able to cope with things. St. Paisu says, Children imitate their parents even from their cradle or cot. They pick up everything they see the adults doing and record it on their empty cassette tape, like I said before. This is why parents should struggle to cut away their passions. Now, if you send your children to childcare so that your child doesn't see the bad example of the childcare teacher with the passions, you make sure you tell the, the childcare person that they have to struggle with their passions so that your child doesn't learn bad habits. Okay, so you tell the childcare person that. And then it's okay, you can send them. It doesn't matter if some of these passions were inherited from their own parents. That means that if the parents have passions that were from their parents, it's not an excuse. You still have to struggle with your own passions so that your children will not be given bad examples. And the one about the child, just in case some people didn't pick it up, it's sarcastic. Should a priest be sarcastic? I don't know. You work it out. And it doesn't matter if these passions were inherited from their parents, they will still have to give an account to God. Not only for not struggling to rid themselves of their passions, but also for being responsible in transmitting their passions to their children through their bad example. See, up to what I'm saying so far, all the psychologists even agree. And the worldly priests and the psychologist priests, they agree with all that. Because that's basically psychology design. Good examples, it's good for the children. They, they believe all that. So, so far what I've read of what the saints said is agreed to good examples, the child imitates the good examples and they become better people. That's okay, but let's go into some areas in which the worldly priests and the psychologist priests and the psychologists themselves cannot comprehend. We're going to say some things soon that these people cannot, it's like you're speaking to them in another language. Parents must live like true Christians and be careful of their behaviour. Psychologists agree with that. Children are like computers. Since a very early age, they register in their minds everything they see or hear happening in their homes. I forgot the example about Queensland. So in Queensland, I don't know how I lost it. In Queensland, they, these children had access to internet. I thought I didn't say something right. And um, accidentally, how it happened, the filters weren't working properly and some pornography appeared on the computers of the children. And many of the mothers got very upset that their children actually uh, saw pornographic images. And I like one thing that one of the parents said, which you 
I don't even know if orthodox parents would even... And this person was an orthodox. It's embarrassing, really. She actually said the following. Once the child sees that image, it will never leave them for the rest of their life. That's orthodox. The images are imprinted. And yet, we let the children watch TV and during commercials, inappropriate things are coming and they're watching not just the cartoons, which is inappropriate, like Bugs Bunny where back in the old days. Like, he used to act... He used to dress up in women's clothes. He used to kiss men. And all these cartoons have got a lot of evil in there and revenge and all these things. Apart from all that, it's also commercials. And a lot of sensuality, women acting sexual... Once they see those images, it imprints on them. And yet Orthodox parents, a lot of them don't understand that. And we have this woman who probably might even be an unbeliever. Who knows what she was? I mean, she doesn't believe in God. And she said, once the child sees the images, it's fixed. And she was very upset. How, and she actually said, how can you get that image out of, the, out of the child? And yet we give the children full access to the internet. You don't know what they're looking at. You got little kids going to school with phones, with full internet access, where everyone huddles around at lunchtime and watch and looks at pornographic things and other disgusting things, and then you and then you just sit there and you're going to work, getting money, and being a career person, and meanwhile the children are being defiled. But we don't worry about the images that they see. If they see their father and mother quarrelling, cursing, and using bad language. They record everything in their mind's tape. So, when they grow older, they start cursing and quarrelling using their parents' language. That's obvious. What they see is what they do. My father was a very uh, hot-tempered person. It's from the, where he comes from in Greece. Very hot-tempered people. So, uh, and that's how I am. Even you, father, meaning even you, Brutus, Yes, of course. What's wrong with that? It's, my, it's a passion. That's how I. That's how I. That's, that's what I saw in my life. I get angry, easy, etc. So that's what I saw. I don't blame my father. He's probably saw it from his father, and his father saw it from his father. Sounds like that area they all they see from each other all the time. They blaspheme. They, my father didn't do that, but it's they blaspheme a lot against the saint against Saint Gerasimos. It's the whose relics can corrupt on this thing. They're crazy people. And um, each area in Greece, they've got certain characteristics. There's some areas where they don't forgive. They don't forget. In Kefalunya, which is near where my father's from, Ithaca, that area, they ignite, and then within seconds they come down. But other areas, they ignite, and they remember it to their deathbed. So there's all different characteristics so what we see our parents do, we imitate. They behave this way without really wanting to, the children. They don't want to do it, but that's how they behave because that's what they saw. Because, but because they have inherited the pathetic behaviour of their parents, says St. Paisios, uh, that's why they do it. Later on, when they realise their mistakes, they find it difficult to correct their mistakes. Like I find it difficult because that's how I was brought up. But I've got to struggle with that. All of you have bad habits. All of you have learnt different things. I'm only saying about myself as a way because it helps people understand things. 
And just like when I give examples of people, I don't give examples of different people so that you laugh at them or we put them down. No, I'm giving examples because they're powerful. As a teacher, and you know, when you're teaching something in mathematics, you give examples. That's how I was. That's what I used to do all the time. Examples, 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 and then you let them do some. It's the same as in spiritual life. All the Holy Fathers use examples. If you read Saint Paisios, he says, "I remember once a man came to this and that and that and that all the time, talking about examples." And you might say, "Oh, that's is that where you got it from?" No, actually, I used to do that from before I read. St. Paisa's books. It's just part of me. So that's why we do it. There are some people who actually sit and they're trying to calculate, who's he talking about? Like, what a bore. Well, I mean, why would you do that? I got a letter recently from the UK. What does it mean? You're going to go over to the UK to track down who it was? Too much. So, St. Porfirio says, if the parents do not pursue a life of holiness and if they don't engage in spiritual struggle, they make great mistakes and transmit, the same word, the faults that they have um, to their children. So all the saints agree with that, even the psychologists agree with that, even the psychologist priests agree with that. That's pretty much all believed. We've got no problem. We're coming on to spiritual now where now we're going to see that we're going to separate two groups are going to now develop when we, what i'm going to say now we're going to have one group which will be the psychologists the psychiatrists the psychologist priests the secular priests and as other basis calls them the unwell spiritually priests that use psychology as a way to help people then we're going to have a line and on the other side we're going to have Priests and people who believe in something different. We all believe in good examples and bad examples. We just went through that. Let's look at something which the other group don't believe in. St. Porfirio says, What saves and makes it for good children is the life of the parents in the home. The parents need to devote themselves to the love of God. They need to become saints in their relationship with their children through their kindness, patience and love. They need to make a new start every day with a fresh outlook, renewed enthusiasm and love for their children and the joy that will come to them, the holiness that will visit them will shower grace on their children. That's where the line separates. What did I say at the end? Was it starts with G? Grace. That's where we separate. What are you saying? Are you saying that, that these priests don't believe in grace? Well, if they're using psychological techniques and the theories of psychology don't believe in that, love of God is not believed by psychiatrists and psychologists, a lot of them. So, but basically, good examples, all those things are kindness, patience, love, that's all good. We learn that in psychology and things like that. But then we come to the separation. And that is that when the parents lead a spiritual life and become like saints and the joy that will come to them, the holiness that will visit them, the parents, will shower grace on their children. Now we're moving away from good example, bad examples, which even, as I said, the secular people believe. 
All those people believe in good examples, bad examples. But where we separate is where we talk about that God will shower grace on their children. Now we're getting into spiritual realm. And unfortunately, a lot of these priests who do follow these psychologies, that maybe some of them might still a little bit, but a lot of them have no idea of how God's grace works on the children through their parents, etc. That's sad, isn't it? I think it's really, really sad. So, let's look at it now. There was one part which I want to quickly say. Elder Porfirio says, they need to make a new start every day with a fresh outlook and renewed enthusiasm and love for their children. What does that mean? I've got examples. Okay, people want to lose weight. So they do exercises, they go to different places, they go to the gym, they do Weight Watchers, or, diff- or they do diets, and then they slip. A lot of times they slip. And then they gain weight again, and what do they do? They say, no, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start again, I'm going to keep on going. So they, 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 they struggle. They fall, they struggle. People that want to look beautiful, especially women, they want to look beautiful, so they take time to do their makeup, etc. And then someone might not compliment them, which is really bad news. So what happens there, then they go back and say, I'm not going to let this get me down. And they go back and they think of different ways of beautifying themselves, using different types of makeup and things like that. In other words, they renew. They renew the struggle to look beautiful when in reality they look ugly. Continually trying to climb up the ladder of success, more money, better job. So someone might go for a review, the person's hoping that they're going to get more pay, a better position, but they didn't get one. What do they do? They say, I'm going to renew my my struggle. I'm going to try for next year. Couples, I don't love you anymore. You hear, I don't feel the same way I used to feel for you. I think we should part our ways. And we see that a lot in celebrities, that they're divorcing continually, even if they've been married with six, seven kids, like Mel Gibson, and he was married, then, then he um, separated, and other people, and why? because they're not working at it. They're not working at it. They're always on location doing their filming, they're never hardly home. A marriage is a struggle, you've got to work at it. You've got to work at it, you've got to start every day with a new and say, okay, I failed there, I made a mistake there, I didn't talk to my wife properly there, I did that wrong, and start again the next day, the next day, the next day. Keep on struggling to keep the marriage. That's why when you hear the words, I don't love you anymore, I don't feel anymore, I don't have the same thing that we used to have. Yeah, because you never cultivated, you never, you never struggled to develop that. That's silly to think that when you get married, the love that you have in the beginning just stays on. You've got to do work. And when you fail, you start again. Most marriages end because there's no work done in the marriage. 
They'll do it for their exercise, they do it for their faces, they do it for their jobs, etc., but not in their marriages. It's a, that's a struggle. So what St Porfirios is saying is they need to make a new start every day with your children. You fail, then you start again the next day, the next day. You've got to be constantly struggling to love your children, to take care of your children, to help your children. It's a struggle. It's not automatic. These are fantasies where people believe that once the child comes out, that you're instantly a mother. That's not how it works. You've got to work. You've got to work at it. It's continually struggling to be a mother, to be a father, to be a, a husband, a wife. It's a continual struggle. So with me, I'll just give an example. I find the parent in these talks excruciating a lot of times. It's very difficult, especially when you're not well. And sitting here is excruciating as well. So I do the talk and I go back to the monastery later on and I realise... I didn't say that properly. I think I didn't develop that properly. I, I think I was harsh there, whatever. What do I do? I'm not going to do it anymore. No, I struggle for the next one and the next one and keep on going. Even serving the liturgy. You do this liturgy and then you fail in certain areas. You don't pray properly or you weren't attentive. Then the next day you start again. You go again and you go again. That's what he means. People don't do that. How can you, as parents, be doing that if you're never hardly home? You're never hardly home. You're the children, you only see them not a few hours, and off they go to bed. They're at school or daycare or with someone else. And you're too tired. When you're tired, how can you struggle? How can you cultivate this? And even the couples. That's why a lot of people that are married, that work, both people work, they're never hardly home, they're never hardly together. There's no opportunity to struggle to make that marriage strong. So if you're not struggling within your marriage to improve, to constantly be struggling to better yourself, then that marriage is finished even if you're not divorced. It's a struggle more than everything else. If you're not continually struggling to take care of your children, to love your children, to bring them up in a Christian way, struggling, when you fail, get up, get up, each time like that, then your children are finished as well. St. Porfirio says, when the parents are saintly and transmit this to their child and give the child an upbringing in the Lord, then the child, whatever the bad influence around it, will not be affected because by the door of its heart will be wisdom, Christ himself. The child will not undergo great travail to acquire wisdom. This means that this is not just looking at examples, good and bad examples, which the psychologist and their psychologist priests agree with. No, he's saying that there's a transmitting that takes place. Grace takes place. Christ enters the soul. That's not in the world of psychology or sociology. It's a spiritual transfer. This is where we separate, as I said before. When the love between you, the couple, and towards your children is a holy and Christian love, then you will have no problem. 
Now we go to what I read in the beginning of the talk. The sanctity of the parents saves the child. Saves means spiritually saves for the next life, but also saves means saves it from disasters and spiritual ruin. For this to come about, divine grace must act on the souls of the parents. Notice so he didn't just say good example and bad example, which we all agree to. He also says divine grace must act on the parents. No one can be sanctified on his own. What does he mean by that? He means the children cannot become sanctified. The children cannot become holy on their own. It has to be passed on to them. It has to be transmitted to them. How does this get done? From the parents. When the parents are spiritual, when the parents are holy, struggling, they don't have to do miracles and radiate in light and have a halo. It means when you're struggling spiritually, sincerely with your passions, repenting, then your spirituality transfers to the children. So yes, good examples affect the children, bad examples affect the children. Psychologists and psychiatrists, they agree with that, but then we separate from them and their, and their um, orthodox friends that, that study these things, and we go to the next group where we believe, and hopefully you as well, that it's not just good and bad examples, which is important, but it's also the grace which comes from the parents, which, as he says here, here it goes, the same divine grace will then illuminate, warm, and animate the souls of the children. So I looked up the thesaurus, so I can use different words. What do these words mean? Illuminate, we understand. Enlighten. Enlighten what? From seeing the good example? Yes. But more than that, it means spiritually enlightening. Warm. Well, you don't get warm when you see good examples, do you? What does it mean by warm? Spiritual warmth. How do you get spiritual warmth? Spiritual transfer from the parents. And animate. Animate the souls of the children. Now, that's important. I'm going to read you some words to explain the word animate. Some of you already know, some of you won't. It means enliven, vitalise, give life to, breathe life into, energise, invigorate, revive, gladden, encourage, hearten, inspire, excite, stimulate, liven up. So the parents do all that to their children from the grace that they radiate, not just from their good examples, but from their spirituality. And that's why we see today children depressed. Why? Because they are dead. They've got no vitality. They've got no life in them. I'm reading all the opposites. Breathe life into. Well, there's no life in them. Energise. There's no energy in them, a lot of them. Invigorate, revive, gladden. No, they're sad. Encourage, they're dejected. Hearten, they're, um, what's the word? Um, downcast, thank you. Inspire, they're not very inspired. They've not got much interest except for sex, drugs, uh, having good times, money, those things 
inspire them, they're excited by those things. And who inspires them? The world and the devil. This is not just a good example. This is spiritual. And what I'm trying to say is that this is the difference between psychology and the psychology priests and some of them even psychiatrists. And some of them continue to practice. Some of them are psychologists or psychiatrists and they continue to practice. So they spend their valuable time sitting with people in a room and some of the, obviously a lot of the people that go to them are unorthodox, so they're not going to, he's, not, he's not going to talk about religion much. So what's he going to talk about? Just ordinary things. So he's helping these people, which is, which is good in some ways because they haven't got access to the church. But how about the people in your church? How about the people in your church that need help? Do you have that much time that you've got time to run a practice and, and, and then come back and take care of your church? I, sometimes I'm only helping maybe at a time, two because I can't help too many, two because I'm not well, two, three people. Wow, and that's, that's a full-time thing. Talking to them, writing to them, doing services for them. That's only a few people. Imagine if there was a parish full of people that are in need and that they've got time to sit one foot over the other in their doctor's seat while the other person's there sitting on the couch and explaining to them these things and using psychological terms to help them. And I'm saying that they're not helped. They are, they are helped to some extent. But how about the people in your parish who God's given you? God didn't give you those people. I know that sounds cruel. God made you the parish priest of that parish. God gave you that parish to take care of that flock. If you're able to take care of all of them and you've got time to go and help some of these non-Orthodox people that are in trouble, that's all right. I doubt it. I doubt you've got that time. And that's why all the Paisu said at the beginning of the talk, when I, when I read it to you, he says that he was very upset that they're leaving their main function of the preaching the word of God and helping souls and praying and doing services and spending their times studying psychology and using psychological techniques to help people. Now that's a way, I think. Now I'm going to read, but I'm going to read a little bit quick, because some of you kind of don't understand the spiritual, because it's kind of alien to some of you. You're not used to this spiritual transmitting, because we're not really, some, a lot of people aren't studying the church, they're not really living proper, and they don't really understand this spiritual transfer. And uh, some of you might, and some of you don't. So what I did is I have found a whole heap of things to help you understand. Listen to what St. Paisio says. Through your prayers, you can sanctify yourself as well as your work. When there are new people at your place of work, so he's talking about Orthodox Greece, when the people that would come for a job at a shop or something like that, that he's saying they should employ spiritual people. Listen to the logic, but When there are new people at your place of work, first teach them how to become spiritually revived and then show them the practical side of the work. 
It sounds far-fetched, but we can get something out of it. It says, when a person comes to your work, make sure that you help them to be spiritual rather than teaching them a trade straight away or some whatever the job is. That's more important is the spiritual. I will give you an example to indicate that this is both for your own benefit as well as for the benefit of your fellow workers. Suppose someone owns a tailor shop. His employees, who are not pious, curse while they are doing their work, while they're sewing, they're swearing or saying dirty things, whatever. As a result, the people who wear the clothes that they are sewing will be under the influence of the devil. Gradually, they will realise that something is wrong, these people, because when they buy clothes from that tailor, some bad things happen to them, uh, and will start looking for another tailor shop. God's grace will also abandon the tailor shop, which will eventually close down. Now, what's going to do with the upbringing of children? I'm trying to explain that even that has a spiritual significance. Even material things can be influenced by the state of our soul. The opposite happens if the owner employs pious workers and looks after their spiritual education and then shows them the art of work. In our days, people prefer to purchase their icons and other items from monasteries, like prayer ropes, etc. They do so because they know that the monks and nuns say the Jesus prayer while working and everything they do is blessed. When people visit a monastery and eat food cooked without oil, they find it very tasty and say, I haven't eaten such a tasty dish even in the best restaurant. How can it be so tasty when it is cooked without oil? And St. Basis continues, when the cook of a restaurant uh, curses while he's cooking and never goes to church, how can the food be blessed? On the contrary, the monk is praying while cooking and his heart is filled with positive thoughts. He thinks that he is preparing food for earthly angels to eat. So the person who's cooking considers those who are going to eat it to be angels, like he, he has respect and honour. He goes, I want them to, to, I want to make good food, and he's praying and blessing the food. Moreover, when monks sit at the table to eat, they say a prayer to bless the food. How is it possible then for the food not to taste good? So the same can apply for parents with a mother who's cooking, unless you're a feminist, then your husband does it, but let's just say, uh, when the mother's cooking, to be cooking with love, to be cooking with saying, my children are going to eat this, my husband will eat this, I want them to enjoy it, I want them to... So her heart is full of, instead of being uh, bitter and cranky, why do I have to be here? I'm a feminist, I shouldn't have to do this. Why can't I just buy Kentucky Fry for the children? So what I'm saying here is that there's a spiritual transfer, good and bad. Bad, if you've got cranky thoughts and horrible thoughts, etc., which can affect what you make. And good, if you've got good thoughts and prayer and blessings, which can affect your food, the food, what you make. And that's why people buy prayer ropes for monasteries, because they're made with prayers instead of made with machines and things like that. Therefore, when someone comes to your business to start work, first see that he is spiritually revived and then show him the work. 
so your business will have God's blessing and be prosperous. Now, of course, he's talking about Orthodox Greece, and probably when this was, when he said this might have even been in the 1960s, who knows? And it sounds a little bit, a bit difficult, obviously, today, but what I wanted to teach was the significance of spiritual transfer, good and bad, even to objects. We're going to come now slowly, slowly to people and then to the children. If a housewife ever thinks that she washes the dishes better than anybody else, well, she might just bring down the entire shelf and break them all at once. Once there was a woman working in a glassware shop who thought to herself, I'm so good at bringing down the boxes with the glasses. The moment she had the thought, the boxes slipped out of her hands and all the glasses were shattered. What's the significance there? Pride. We can lose grace and things go wrong. And you say, well, a lot of the world have pride. How come these things don't happen to them? I think the saints talking about spiritual people where God in his love allows these things to happen. It's called spiritual laws. These things happen. Accidents, these things to wake the person up, not punishment. Not punishment. But you might say, oh, God punished her by dropping, letting all the boxes smash, all the glasses. No, I don't like that word, the punishment. I like to say that God taught her a lesson that pride is no good. So from her heart, which was prideful, which is evil, that influenced even the objects. Another person said, Elder, I'm afraid to iron. This was a nun. The nun said, Elder, I'm afraid to iron again because I burned someone else's cassock, the black, what, like what I'm wearing. I burnt it. And then the saint said, Make the sign of the cross and continue to iron. And the person says, Could it have been a temptation? In other words, could it have been from the devil? And St. Patience says, Rarely is such damage caused by the devil's envy. It's usually the result of prideful thoughts. When we have prideful thoughts, we ruin, in other words, we botch everything. And it seems you had a prideful thought while you were ironing because God loves you. There it goes. Because God loves you, not because God decided to punish you, but because God loves you, the spiritual laws are in effect. That's important, those words. The spiritual laws are in effect for people who believe. Now, some of these things might happen to people that don't believe, but for people who are struggling, God permits a lot of these things to happen more. You cause a bit of damage and you became humbled. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be humbled. God permits these things to humble us. That's not a punishment. That's good. People say, oh, it's the devil. The devil made it happen. See what the saint says? Very rare for those things. It's from ourselves. St. Paisius says, I remember when I was at the Holy Stormian Monastery dedicated to the Mother of God. After the Feast of the Theotokos on September the 8th, the pilgrims had left the place very untidy. As I was fixing something, I see my sister, Elder Basil's sister, and another girl had stayed behind clean, cleaning up the church. The poor girl had two sisters who had married 
while she remained single. So it was the same sister, another girl who had um, two other sisters, but they were married, but she was single. And in those days, to be single wasn't looked at as being good. Good to get married, start a family. Today, it doesn't matter if you get married at 60. That's, that's, that's okay. The poor girl had two sisters who had married while she remained single. She had so much philotimo. He uses that word a lot, philotimo. Now, it's hard to explain philotimo. I understand it's a Greek word. Philotimo is like she had a good heart. She had a good disposition. She wasn't false. She wasn't hypocritical. She, was, uh, she had a good relationship with God and others. It wasn't like a Pharisee. I think something like that. They stayed and she was sacrificing, not selfish, they stayed and cleaned up everything and at the end she said to me, Father, if you need us for anything else, we'll stay, said the girl, the unmarried girl. So much philotomo, I thought to myself. Therefore, I went to the chapel, little chapel, and I said with all my heart a prayer. My sweetest or holy mother, take care of her. I don't have anything to give her. And even if I did, she would not accept it. That's the prayer that he did. He prayed to the mother of God. He was so overwhelmed with her kindness and her goodness and sacrifice. He prayed and said to the mother of God, um, I don't have anything, and even if I did, she wouldn't take it, and you take care of her. Well, as soon as she went back home, a young man was waiting for her, a fellow. I knew because we were together in the army. A really nice person, a piece of gold and from a good family. They got married and everything turned out so well. See how the mother of God rewarded her. What's the lesson there? That from his heart, he had good wishes for her. He knew that she wasn't married. He knew that was a big, a big cross for her. And therefore... He prayed to the mother of God and said, I can't give her anything. And what's more important than for, for her to be married and to find a good man? So he, he did that prayer and that spiritual transfer happened from his heart. God heard that and the grace of God arranged for her to find a very good man. Once, when I was in the army, the commander of the army sent me to escort someone who was going to be tried in the military court. The unfortunate soul was a musician, a poor man married with children who had been accused of wounding himself to avoid going to war. That happened a lot. You know that, don't you? Soldiers used to pretend that they were shot. They used to shoot their finger off or shoot their toe off or something like that so they can be sent home. So this man did that because he didn't want to go to fight, because he didn't want to die. I suppose he thought to himself, I would rather be with one leg than get killed. That's what the saint said. He felt sorry for him and said, I suppose that's what he thought, that uh, one leg than having turned to die. On the way, he did not want me to turn him in. I really felt pity for him and at some point I said to the man, don't worry, you will see. You'll, you'll do better than all the others. The commander will write a letter 
and they will probably put you in some office and you'll take care of your family and save your life too. So what happened was that the saint, Elder Bezos, had good thoughts. He didn't say you deserve it because you shot yourself, you idiot, you're, you're a chicken, you're yellow, whatever. He felt sorry for him. He says a family man, he shot himself, the world didn't want to die, whatever, whatever, whatever. And had all these good thoughts about him. And said, don't worry, we'll all work out, which came from his heart. Well, when we finally reached the town, we found out that indeed the commander had sent a letter and the man had been exonerated, in other words, forgiven. Otherwise, he would have been brought before the firing squad. Things are very strict during wartime. The commander took pity on him and he was hired as a cook in the transit centre. He even brought his family to be with him and they lived better than all the other soldiers. There was plenty of leftover food because the soldiers did not always go to eat there. because They'll be somewhere else. So he got to feed his children as well. Everybody later would tell this soldier, you have, you have it better than everyone else. You see... The rest of us were up in the mountains in the snow, said Elder Baesios. The blessing I gave him found favour with God because I said it feeling the man's pain in my heart. And that's why God acted on it. Imagine if that's the way we feel about our children, about others. Imagine if from our heart comes these type of feelings, good feelings. And he says here, I felt pain. But the psychologists aren't allowed to feel pain, and the sociologists and all these people, welfare, they aren't allowed to feel pain. They have to empathise, as we said, we were corrected from someone there, yes. And it was intellectually to empathise. I understand you just lost your child with dry words, like really stiff looking. I understand you just lost your child and I empathise with you. No, but in, but in orthodoxy, we don't just empathise. We feel. We feel for the person pain. And from our heart comes good thoughts about the person and, and, and kindness and prayers. And this is a spiritual transmission. We're transmitting God's grace to these people. When you feel pain in your heart for a person who is humble and asks you from his heart to pray, for example, for some passion that torments him, and you tell him, don't be afraid, you'll get better, the blessing you give is divine. It's full of love and pain, and that's why it works. It pleases God, and he makes the blessing come true. You see, even the pain we feel for someone is a kind of blessing. Even if we don't have much prayer life, but we have pain for that person, God counts it as a blessing. That's called spiritual transfer there. Good, but now we might have to come to some when you have bad thoughts too, bad feelings. Another day a man came in puffing heavily from having walked. I gathered that he was a heavy smoker and told him, my blessed man, why do you smoke so much? You will harm your health. As soon as he got his breath and was able to speak, he said, my wife is very sick and in danger of dying. Please pray for her, Father. Pray for a miracle to happen. The doctors have given up. And then the saint said, do you love your wife? The man said, 
I love her. Then why don't you also do something to help her? She did whatever she could. The doctors did whatever they could. And now you come here to ask me also to do something and to pray for God to help her. But what have you done to help your wife? What can I do, Father? He asked me. If you stop smoking, your wife will become well again. I thought to myself that if God sees that it will not be spiritually advantageous for the wife to be healed, then the husband at least would be spared the harm caused by smoking. In other words, when he said to him, stop smoking and your wife will get better, the saint did not know whether God will make his wife better. He didn't know. But he said, but no harm will happen because even if God doesn't feel that that woman should get better, it's better for her to remain sick or to die, then at least the man would have stopped smoking. After a month had passed, he came back happy to thank me. Elder, I quit smoking, he told me, and my wife is well. After a period of time, he returned again in distress to tell me that he had started smoking again secretly and that his wife had become seriously ill. And the saint said to him, you know the medicine, quit smoking. What's the lesson here? Sacrifice. Even when we sacrifice for someone, we can transmit grace to that person which can heal them, help them, etc. Sacrifice. Not just good and bad examples influence people. Sacrifice. St. Porfirio said, Often, through our anxiety and fears and poor spiritual state, without knowing or wanting, we can hurt other people even if we love them very much. Like a mother, her child, for example. A mother can transmit the word transmit again, to a child, all her stress regarding the child's life. The mother can also have anxiety and stress because of the child's health, the child's progress, even without talking directly to the child or showing what we feel. Do you understand what that meant? Even if the mother has anxiety secretly for her child, and doesn't say anything to the child, she doesn't even show the anxiety to the child, the child can be influenced by that anxiety, by her stress. What's that? Spiritual transfer there of a negative nature. This love, this natural love, may hurt the child at some point, meaning the love that she's got and she's always worried, etc. That can be detrimental. This does not happen, however, with Christ's love, which is connected to prayer and the wholeness of someone's life. This love sanctifies a person, pacifies them, because God is love. So parents can have love, in inverted commas, but the love is, it's natural love to be caring about your child, but when it's overly done, which causes anxieties and stress, then this not only damages the mother, but also can damage the child even though she doesn't show anything. So even though I gave so many examples in the beginning about good examples, bad examples, where the child is seen, we're now learning that there's also spiritual transmitting, good and bad, even on objects, like the clothes the person was sewing or the glasses that fell. 
Not only that, good thoughts, good feelings can help a person. When jealousy is malicious, it may cause a lot of harm. That's what the evil eye is all about. It's a demonic force. Yerunda, someone says, Elder, does the church recognise the evil eye? Elder Paisus answers, yes, there is even a special prayer for it. The evil eye works when a person speaks with envy and malice. See, Greeks that more believe in that, and it's true, they think that if a person comes up to your child and says, that child is beautiful, that that means that they're going to give it the evil eye. Now, the evil eye is only when a person is saying it with evil, with malice. And the elder Paisos, as a note there, emphasised that only priests can read the prayer for the evil eye. Because today a lot of Greeks say, oh, I know a woman that puts oil in the water and that she does little prayers and then, then the evil eye goes. No, no, once you do that, you're opening the doors. You bring the demons into your house. You do not go to those people. You go to the church or you can even just drink holy water, put holy oil on your unction oil, and if it's still bad, then you go to the priest, okay? Or you, go, or you ring up a monastery and says, can you please pray for my son or my daughter or my husband or whatever? They've got some problem. Uh, many people, elder, ask for evil eye pendants to protect their babies. Should babies have such things on them? The elder says, no, they should not. You should tell the mothers that the only thing needed is a cross, because they got the little, you know, the little blue eyes and all these stupidities. They're supposed to protect you from the evil eye. That doesn't protect you. Elder, if someone praises a nice piece of work and those who created it accept the praise with pride, then some harm happens. Is that work of the evil eye? No. The elder says, no, that's not the evil eye. In this case, the spiritual laws are at work. God removes his grace from man and some harm happens. The evil eye is rare. Only those who have both envy and evil intentions. So the person who prays, say, someone's car, that's a really nice car, if he hasn't got evil in him, it's not the evil eye, but the person who receives the praise can have pride and say, oh, yeah, my car's beautiful, but pride then something can happen to the car. It doesn't mean that the other person had the evil eye. That's nothing to do with the evil eye. That's just the spiritual laws in action, if you say, for the faithful to help them to rid them of the pride. God removes his grace from man and some harm happens. The evil eye is rare. Only those who have both envy and evil intentions, and they are not many, have the power of the evil eye. Let us say a woman sees a cute little child with its mother and thinks to herself with bitterness, oh, why isn't this child mine? Why did God give it to her? She can actually bring harm to the child, causing it to lose sleep, to cry all the time and suffer. All on account of her malicious thoughts. And if the child got really sick and died, should be pleased. In a similar way, someone else may see uh, a calf 
like in the village, so they look at someone else's little cow there. He wants to possess it, and then after some time, the animal dies. These things do happen in the villages, actually. And that's from the evil eye. Now, you might say, that sounds very, very strange, especially Russians and I don't know about the Serbians if they're into it, but a lot of people have never heard of these things. And some say, oh, that's only Greek stuff. I'll read you what Christ said. For from within, out of a person's heart, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, greed, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Christ refers to the evil eye. That is part of the church's teaching. Yes, there is an evil eye. Rare, but it does happen. People have got sick from the evil eye and some people have died. But actually, this, the saint says somewhere else, he says, that person that dies, not of their own fault, is a martyr. But if these things happen, straight to the church. It might be something else that's wrong. But a lot of people say, oh, I feel sick, I feel my head is hurting, someone's done the evil eye on me. Oh, it's my mother-in-law. No, it's this person, it's my sister. It's and making th the devil does all that to make you have animosity towards these people when there might not even be that. And even if it is, just go to the church, get some prayers read, and 99% of the time it goes away. And if God chooses to leave it, then it's for your good. Why did I read the evil eye? I read that because children can have disruptive behaviour, mental problems, which can come from that. They don't need ADHD medication. They don't need psychiatric medication. They just need prayers. Parents need to change their life and to lead a Christian life, confess their sins, because why did God allow this to happen? A lot of times it's because the parents weren't spiritual. Rare for spiritual parents to have something like that happen to them. And as I said, sometimes that does happen for reasons God knows. And if the child dies, then that child's a martyr. But in general, it doesn't happen if people are in the church, usually. Or they might get a little bit influenced. A bit of holy water, gone. Holy oil, gone. If it's stronger, go to the priest. Get prayers done. Ask for liturgies. Get an unction done. Unction, St John Christiakon says, is higher than exorcisms. So that's another spiritual transfer, the evil eye. So that's on the bad point. There's good spiritual transfer and there's negative. Parents can give the evil eye to their own children. How? Well, the, say the woman wants to work and she's really bitter that she has to now stay home because the child or something like that, and she's bitter. She can now start having hate for the child because that child's stopping her of becoming a career woman. So they can actually do that. We've got to be careful in our heart how we feel 
towards the children. And then we go to St. Paisos. Another man told me that his wife was possessed. She was constantly making trouble in the house. She would get up at night, wake up the others and turn things upside down. I asked him, do you go to confession? He replied, no. I then said, perhaps you have given certain rights to the devil for such things don't happen for no reason. Finally, we discovered that he had gone to a hodja, which is like a Muslim cleric, well, just say use that word, who had given him something to sprinkle in the house for good luck so that his work would go well and, and considered his action not so important. After that, of course, the devil was free to roam about in that household. So, again, I did talks 58 and 59 dedicated to these things. A lot of times there can be changes of behaviour, problems, mental issues, which come from evil eye. It can come from magic. Some parents do magic on their kids so they can progress at university or school. Some even do it when the kid's sad or got a problem, etc. They do magic. They don't understand, but as soon as you do those things, those children become worse. They, they actually have mental breakdowns and they can commit suicide. You don't do those things. And even if you go to a magician for yourself, like this man did, he went for his work, he didn't do magic on his family, but because he went, his sin transferred to the family, to his wife. And a lot of times it transfers to the children. That's what's called the spiritual law. You do these things, it goes to your family as well. Now you might say that's quite spiritual. Let me talk about the Easter show. Let's make it a bit light. So as you know, the Easter show is famous every year. They're famous for their scones. Scones are like little bread cakes, which I think it's England, Australia. I think Americans don't eat them. And you put cream and jam and they have them for a cup of tea. Someone heard this on the radio. They were talking about it on the radio. What happened was that there was one of the women who make the scones. They're from the country. And the man was saying on the radio, Your, the, these scones that you women make are so popular. People love them. And how many did you make? And they said, oh, no, how many hundreds of thousands? Whatever, a lot of them. And, um, and the lady said that the secret for their successful scones... The lady said, you have to smile when you knead the dough because if you have a scowl, the dough will turn sour. Even in the world they understand, to some extent, spiritual uh, transfer. See, so when you're cooking your food at home and your children vomit it out, they don't want to eat it, think to yourself, when you were making it, were you making it with a scowl? Were you actually had a sour face, sour puss face? Were you making it with love? So even the world knows to this little extent some spiritual transfer. Now, if you tell a psychologist, no, 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 no. It's just that they cooked it well, not that the smile transferred onto the scones. That's their um, explanation. Elder Hieronymus of Egina, who lived from 1883 to 1966, very holy person. Uh, he was with the old calendar, but he well, hasn't been canonised. I think in the old, the old calendars have canonised. But anyway, 
Once an elderly couple visited the elder. They had no children of their own, but had an adopted daughter who tormented them, treating them very harshly. As soon as they heard of the older Euronymous, they went to visit him to express their pain to him. He said to them uh, reproachfully, like in other words, tell them off, she has done very little to you. She ought to have broken your head. This is a saint. A saint saying to the woman, should have busted your head. But I thought saints only speak soft. Well, he didn't say that because they were rude to him. He's saying that because of what's coming up. You have to understand, saints did get angry. God's given everyone anger. It's part of the soul. Not all anger is bad. There's good anger. Anger against sin. Anger against the devil. Anger against the bad of the world. Anger against the bad things that happen in the church. That's good anger. It's given by God. The other anger is bad. We've got to channel the good anger and not the bad anger. He said she should have busted your head. And they sat in shocked disbelief at his answer. After a moment's silence, he explained to them that when God had given them their own child, because this one was adopted, they didn't want it and they killed it. And that it wasn't the fault of the girl, but it was their own sin that was tormenting them. At this revelation, they melted in tears and with contrition confessed to him what they had done, that they, had, that they did do an abortion. Then, with paternal love, after he told them off, then when they showed contrition, then with paternal love, like a father, and saintly discretion with discernment, he comforted and counselled them, promising to pray that God would change their daughter for the better. They left relieved and full of joy. Upon their return home, they expected to be met by the usual grim looks, shouts, and so forth, but were astonished to find their daughter transformed, kind and meek, and telling them she regretted that they were unable to live in peace and that she was going to try to change her ways. They understood that it was a miracle worked by Elder Hieronymus' prayer. Now, what does that mean? When we do sins, they affect those around us. If I sin as a person in the monastery, that will affect those under me. If you sin as parents, it will affect your children, your wife, your husband. Notice that as soon as they repented, their daughter calmed down. So we have to think to ourselves, when our children are misbehaving or showing mental problems, etc., is it possibly the sins of the parents? What's the solution for that? Spiritual. They could have taken the girl to a psychiatrist to give her ADHD to calm her down because she was screaming and shouting and always telling off the parents. Maybe the psychologist said it's because she's adopted that maybe she is upset because she doesn't know her real parents. Of course, if the child doesn't even know she's adopted, that throws that theory down. But in general, as soon as the parents repented, the child changed. So a lot of the problems that are happening in today's orthodox houses are because of the sins of the parents. 
Father John Christiankin, and we're going to finish with his, his part, abortion is a mortal sin, the consequences of which will reflect themselves first of all upon your soul and then upon those children whom you have already born. They will suffer in life and take revenge upon you for their murdered little brother with such afflictions and torments that you will not be able to bear it. Father John said that when a person does an abortion, not only will they suffer the consequences of that sin, but their sin will be transferred onto their children, the ones that weren't aborted. And those children will suffer themselves because of the sin of their parents, and they will also take revenge upon their parents for murdering their brother or sister. And he said this affliction that the parents will go through, that they will not be able to bear it. It will be that hard. He says another place, the Holy Fathers say that the living children of mothers who killed their own infants take revenge upon their mothers for their brothers and sisters who never saw God's light. Yes, and there are many other sins, known and unknown. So it's not just abortion, like I said before, sins the parents do affect their children. And sorrows are a penance from God. But you have to bear them without complaining. So when a person does an abortion, they have to understand that they will be penanced by God with suffering. Yes, you can repent. That's good. That will alleviate. Yes, the priest can give you a, a penance, not to commune for so many years, whatever. That's good. That will alleviate the suffering. That's why a lot of people go to the monasteries in Greece and America and say, please, Father, give me a penance. But in general, the parents who are involved will suffer and those parents have to accept it and say, this is from God for what I did and not to complain. Spiritual transfer, transmitting. Would the psychologist say that? The psychologist would say, no, that because you did an abortion does not affect the behaviour of your children. Father John again says another letter, know the following, that for every child that is unborn due to his mother's will, each child to which she later gives birth for her own joy will take revenge upon her with sorrows, sicknesses and psychological oppression. This is a law. This is, the, in other words, what Elder Pesci said, this is spiritual law. So she didn't want that child, but now I feel like I want a child. And that child will take revenge upon her and the father who was involved with sorrows, sicknesses and psychological oppression. This is a law. You cannot expect happiness in earthly life after an abortion. And as for life in eternity... Well, it's terrible even to think about it in a word hell. He wrote this to someone who was contemplating abortion. Now, you might say, well, if you, if you repent and you don't go to hell, yeah, it depends on your repentance. That's correct. If you repent, you show fruits of repentance and you accept whatever God sends you, which part of that will be your own sicknesses, your own problems, your own mental problems, but also the afflictions that your own children will cause you. 
a person asked Elder Paisios, Elder, a 40-year-old woman who already has grown children is now three months pregnant. Her husband is threatening to divorce her if she does not have an abortion. St. Paisios answers, If she has an abortion, it will be her other children who will pay the price with sicknesses and accidents. Just in case some of you say, oh, that's, that's Father John Christiankin, it's Russian, I want to hear Greek. So we've got a bit of Greek, a bit of Russian. I like that. See, if she has an abortion, her children, the other children, will pay the price with sicknesses and accidents. Spiritual transfer. That's not from, and mental problems, etc. That's not from observing bad behaviour. How many children know that their parents did an abortion? None of them when they're young. No, no, which parent's going to go and say that she had an abortion? So it's not from observation, it's spiritual. And today many of the priests do not like that. They will not say that. They will not use this. Even though they say, oh, St. Paius was such a great saint and all that, uh, but they won't say that. How many parents could be saved from committing abortions if they knew such things? And you hear parents say, Oh, my child or my children torment me every day and every night. That's why I'd rather go to work. Well, why don't you look to see, is it your life? Did you go to magicians? Are you involved in magicians? Did you have an abortion? Do you have uh, evil thoughts about others, evil eyes, etc.? I think that's it. That's the same, isn't it? I, had I was going to go through it. the effects of adultery. I was going to go through the effects of, on the children of um, pornography, when parents are uh, flirting, even on social media, people with their old boyfriends, their old girlfriends, or just getting to know people. We have the, I had Father Thaddeus, where he gave the example of that couple that had dirty thoughts about other people, and the child was uncontrollable, and then later on they found, he told them that's because of what you're doing. And that's just thinking bad. Imagine if you go to the next step and it's pornography. Then the next step, which is social media where you're flirting with people. And then the next step of that is adultery. These things all have effect on children. And then there's the unnatural sins, which I've discussed before, the, the sins of sodomy. And people don't understand that, that they are really serious sins, but they're just talked about, shown on TV now, doesn't, it's like it's nothing. By the way, the legal definition of sodomy, a sodomy law is a law that defines certain sexual acts as crimes. Up to 2003, a lot of these things were crime, then the Supreme Court of the, of the US said it's not a crime anymore. The precise sexual acts are rarely spelled out in the law, but are typically understood by courts to include any sexual act deemed to be unnatural or immoral. Sodomy typically includes anal sex, oral sex, and the oral sex or the anal sex can be with between a heterosexual couple, it can be uh, between um, a, a homosexual couple, and it can also be through uh, marriage, or couples do that, or boyfriend, girlfriend, or they're just having one night stands, etc. And the other one, which is termed as sodomy, is bestiality, that's sexual acts with animals. Now, why I brought that up is because 
That definition of sodomy is actually the definition that the Orthodox Church has. That's why that priest got mixed up on that blog when someone wrote to him and says, Father, is oral sex a sin? And he goes, no. He thought that the only thing in the canons is that sodomy is a sin. And the idiot didn't understand that sodomy also includes oral sex, etc., etc. And I call him an idiot. And maybe it's harsh. Maybe it's not the right word. A moron. So the actual moron is actually saying on public, on an orthodox website, that oral sex is not a sin. Okay? So why I'm bringing them up is because those sins bring blackness in the family. Remember I said that Elder Ephraim, when the priests were coming to meet him in Arizona, and he would tell all the priests that would come, speak up, speak up. You have to tell the people that these sins are bad and that they affect the marriage and the children. You must speak up. Because a lot of priests are scared to speak about those things. And yet people are practising these, they're committing these sins without even knowing that they're sins. And they're bringing blackness into their marriages and they are bringing so much disaster on their children. Those things need confession. And when we say Sodom and Gomorrah, people say, oh, that's because Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament, it's referring to sins between two men. No, that's not what it means. It means all sins of sodomy, which included heterosexual couples that are committing these sins, anal sex, oral sex, etc. So people get mixed up and think... Uh, that the church is really against only homosexuals. But actually, in the canons, in the old days, with a lot of fasting and prostrations, homosexuals were given three years. And if it was a single person that committed such a sin, three years. Adultery was three years, no communion. But sodomy between a married couple, an orthodox couple, was eight years. And the father said, it should be 20 years or more, but we'll let you have eight years as long as you do 250 prostrations a day and fast with no oil, etc., etc., for eight years. But of course, they don't keep that now. They'll give you less, but it's good to get something. And that's, that's how serious it is. So... Two men fall into that sin or a single person with a single woman fall into that sin is three years with 200 prostrations and fastings, etc. But when it's an orthodox couple, it's eight years. That tells you that when the churches are continually calling out against gay this, gay that, and all, they should actually be talking to their own parishioners about uh, the sins in their own parishes, not just these acts between two men or two women, whatever. That was it. That was adultery. I said about the bad thoughts that the couple had. The child was uncontrollable because they were having sexual thoughts. And that's Elder Thaddeus. So I didn't have time for that. And then we have um, the effects of pornography. That's really bad. And remember, the child's not observing you watching it. So it's not just good example, bad example. Your sin by doing these pornography transfers to the child. It's nothing to do with examples. They don't see you doing it. You're doing it secretly. 
So these things are bad and need confession and struggle. I talked about um, self-sacrifice and that if you do sacrifice for your children, then that, that will affect the children in a positive way. And then we have in the Old Testament, it says here, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and disobedience, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations. That means your children, the children's children, and children's children, children, whatever. That, that, well, you might say, but that's in the Old Testament. That's not New Testament. You know, these smart theologians and secular priests that are, they, they think they're smart. They go, no, there's many things in the Old Testament we don't follow anymore. That's not an orthodox teaching. Even I just read about 50 examples of orthodox people. But let me tell you something. In the prayer uh, by Elder Cleopa of Romania, in the canon for a sick child, which is still up at the back, there's one part of the prayer which says, the parent is reading this, praying for a sick child. Let not this child suffer because of the sin of his or her parents, but let the child receive consolation from thee, thou who art the heavenly mother of all those who call upon thee. Elder Cleopa of Romania specifically says that children can get sick because of the sins of their parents. So it's not just in the Old Testament, and we have examples throughout the 2,000 years of the church's history. Now, let me conclude that um, we can understand better after we went through a lot of those examples of spiritual transfer, good and bad. Now we understand. So, St. Porphyrios. Become saints and you will have no problems with your children. St. Paisus, the best inheritance the parents can give their children is their own spiritual life. St. Porphyrios, the sanctity of their parents releases the children from their inner problems. And just the last thing. Remember, when communism spread through, it hit Russia, it hit Romania, it hit Bulgaria, it hit Albania, it hit Serbia, but it didn't succeed in Greece. Greece was the only orthodox country that didn't get affected. Do you know why? Because of the sanctity of Greece. Now, you might say, oh, you're saying all this because you're Greek and you're trying to put us down and whatever you think. But um, we have Serbian saints that are great. We have Russian saints that are great. But what I'm saying is Greece is the light of orthodoxy. Now, before you throw eggs at me, let me read something. Because the Serbs will say, we've got Saint Justin Popovich. And the Russians will say, we've got Father John Christiak. And these are great saints, not just in Greece. Yes, they are great saints. But let's see what these saints say. It says here, Saint Justin Popovich sent his best disciples to study in Greece. His best disciples he sent to study in Greece. And shortly before his death, he said to those standing around his deathbed the following, Love the Greeks, they are our masters and our enlighteners. Okay? And I also read that similar, I think it was, I can't remember, it was a Russian saint, maybe Father John Christiankin, where he said that Greece, the same type of thing. Greece is Mount Athos. Greece has hundreds and hundreds of monasteries. 
they have proper monasticism and they couldn't they couldn't knock it down they could not knock it down they knocked all the other orthodox countries down but they couldn't knock that down because greece is strong in its orthodoxy okay so i'm not saying that because i've got a greek background i'm saying it because it's a fact and even Houston Povich says it. I think it was Father John or some other Russian saint. It's a well-known fact. People go to Greece and even monasteries in Russia that are, you know, after communism and they're establishing monasteries, they are asking for help from Greek abbots and abbesses to revive, to bring monasticism to Russia, etc., Love the Greeks, they are our masters and our enlighteners. Stand up. Christ is risen from the dead by death, has he trampled on death and those in the graves of bestowed life. 